Live. Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, New York Sports Talk, long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We are going to be diving back into the NBA playoffs. The Brooklyn Nets are out, but there is still a lot happening in the conference final round. We have our matchup set, Phoenix and the Clippers out west. Phoenix won game one yesterday without Chris Paul, who's still in the health and safety protocols. They're up one nothing in that series. You have Milwaukee and Atlanta on the other side in the East. Talk to Martina Puccio today about all these matchups, some of the storylines in the NBA. That's coming up in just a bit. We're also going to j- jump back into the Sky Guys this week. Pete for Considori, Nick Friet are here. We did our recap of season six of the Clone Wars. We are coming down to the end here. We can talk about the lost missions at the end of the show, but we'll get it all started this week's opening tip where Catch up what's going on with the Mets, who are in a very critical portion of their schedule right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time, talking about the Mets. And coming off a rough weekend, they lost three of four of the Nationals. The offense was non-existent. Francisco Lindor won them a game, having two homers, five RBIs, but the, the rest of the team scored four runs the other three games. It's not good enough to win. And you know what? These things happen. It was a long season. They've played a lot of games. This month has been brutal for them. They have 33 games in 31 days heading into the break. They have finished one doubleheader. They have another today against the Braves. They have another on Friday against the Phillies. All these makeups catching their own. But give the Mets credit. They've held their own despite a bunch of injuries. You had a bunch of guys stepping up here. You had Jose Peraza get big at bats. He won a game for them in a double hire against the Rockies. Billy McKinney's had some moments. Mason Williams had moments. Brandon Jury's had some pinch hit homers. Guys have contributed. But this is sort of the limits you have when you have a team of guys who are the replacements. Like, this is not a lot of people want to run out there for 162 games a season. You would lose 90 games in this group. And the limits of this and the fact they've been pushed so hard that's getting exposed right now. But the good news is the Calvary is finally coming. Jeff McNeil is supposed to be back today. He will help out big time second base. You should have Michael Conforto by the end of the week. He's already started. He's rehab assignments a couple of days in. Hopefully you have him on Friday for the double hire against the Phillies. Brandon Nimmo restarted his rehab assignment. He got hit yesterday, played four innings in the outfield, and maybe he's back by the end of the homestand. J.D. Day is a little further away, but if you get those three guys back, that would be massive. The Mets right now are in the middle of a big two-week stretch coming against the least opponents. They lost three or four of the Nationals, but they had to get at least one in there. They did. They have seven with the Braves the next week, including this doubleheader tonight. Four with the Phillies, the doubleheader on Friday, and they have one more with the Nats on Monday. They're going down to D.C. next Monday to make up another one of those games in the series that was postponed in the opening week due to the COVID outbreak in Washington. Despite the least end result where they've lost three or four, they're still in a good position. They are still four up on the Phillies. They're up five on the Braves and the Nationals. They still have significant leads in the loss column. They're up six in the loss column on the Phillies, seven on the Braves and Nationals. This is your opportunity here. The Mets to create some real distance between themselves and the rest of the division. 
this week it's tricky with the Dell Hires, but if you can find a way to go at least four and four, you maintain. And Washington, as high as they've been, they have a tough schedule down the stretch. I mean, they play the Phillies this week. They play the Marlins, who are peaking up a little bit. But next two weeks going to the break, they have the Mets, the Rays, the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants. That's not easy. That's a brutal stretch and a half. The Mets just had to, you know, hang in there because they have one off day left in the first half. It's on Thursday. They had another one wiped out of that makeup game. The 33 games, 31 days is brutal, but... They have played seven less games than really scheduled as a start of that stretch. They made one up of them already on Saturday. Three more are going to be made up in this NLE stretch. If you get out of here after all the makeups with a decent lead in the division, if you can maintain this sort of lead where you are right now, and you say you're still four up on the Phillies, five or so up on the Braves and Nationals at this point, you're in phenomenal shape. And the question becomes what you're looking for at the trade deadline. And we thought for a while it would be the bats because you're sitting there mid-May when everybody's on the shelf and your only healthy regulars are Francisco Lindor, who, by the way, is starting to hit. In case you've forgotten, he is hitting almost 280 in June. He's got a couple of homers in here. He's got some good production in June. And Dom Smith and McCann. You have gotten guys coming back soon. And you've shown that you have some guys who are capable on the bench. Ken Pilar has been big. Jonathan VR has to stay in the starting lineup. You have Neil, Conforo, Nimmo, eventually J.D. Davis. You feel like you have enough offense here. The big need right now is probably starting pitching. It's Carlos Carrasco. We found out he's had three setbacks in his hamstring. He's not due back till late July at the earliest because, remember, he's got to start the throwing program. He's going to get a bunch of starts in the Myers to build up. He's not even on throwing bullpen sessions yet, so it's going to be a little bit before we see him. Noah Syndergaard had his setback with his elbow. He's not throwing for six weeks. We're not going to see him until September, if at all. David Peterson had some struggles. He seems to be getting back in track, but he's not giving you a lot of innings. Joe Lucchese improved, but now he's on the injured list with the elbow inflammation. That MRI is going to be big for the Mets because if he's out a start or two, you can probably manage, but if he's going to be out longer, you need to figure out something. My personal suggestion would be to promote Tyler McGill from AAA Syracuse. He's been dominating the Myers this season. He's on turn with Lucchese. If it's going to be a long-term injury, you add to the 40-man. You put them in there as you need starters. You cannot destroy this bullpen by making them overwork, overwork, overwork. The best path here for the Mets right now is start looking for those veteran starters and can give you some innings. Stabilize that back end until Carlos Carrasco gets back. The guy who's the big swing is Max Scherzer. And you get him and you put him in the rotation with Jake and Stroman. In the playoffs, that would be deadly. Very few teams are beating you if you have that trio starting off series. The question is, I don't think the Nationals want to move him, especially in the division. Remember last year, they had two years ago, a chance to trade Bryce Harper away. They did not. I think with the Mets top of the rotation, especially Carrasco gets back, they don't need the Kingmaker right now. I think looking in the category of the guys like Kyle Gibson, John Gray, Matthew Boyd, that tier of pitcher, just give them somebody who gives them innings and they're not dipping in the minors or bullpenning every fifth day because the men's bullpen is strong, but you can't work these guys to death. You have to have guys who can get deeper into games. Getting somebody who can give you innings, go deep, that would be very helpful. I think that's something the Mets are going to look very hard at over the next couple of weeks. We'll keep an eye on that coming up here. But 
I think, up next. We're going to dive into the basketball with Martina Puccio right after this. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way to dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm the king on the microphone. So it's Dr. J and Moses Malone. I like slam dunks and taking it to the hoop. My favorite play is the alley Ooh, I like the pick and roll. I like the give and go. Because it's basketball of Mr. Kirch's All right, we are back here on the Just End of Suffering podcast talking NBA playoffs, conference finals here, and we're sort of doing the eulogy to the Nets as well. Joining me today, guy we broke down the start of the playoffs for the Nets with, Martino Puccio is back. Martino, how are you? Good, Mike. Um, not a bad weekend at all. First day of summer, so excited to uh, get into the swing of things uh, with the conference finals. Yeah, before we get to the conference finals on the Nets, I want to talk about like last week in the association because there was a lot of crazy news last week. I feel like I, <laughs> I trouble keeping track of everything that was happening. It's like the whole offseason started happening like span about a day and a half. So give me the power ranking. Give me the three most important things that happened last week. <laughs> oh, come on. Jeez, um, man. Um, okay, well, there was like long-term and short-term things that were significant. I want to say the short-term things, I guess you could say Chris Paul and Kawhi Leonard or like one and one a um, you could say. And then the other long-term thing is the whole shakeup with the Dallas Mavericks, because I think the greatest player of a generation is having a massive shakeup and it really, he will be the greatest player of a generation, Luka Doncic um, with that shakeup with that front office and the head coaching with Rick Carlisle being out, Donnie Nelson gone. They have to hit all those notes right because if they don't get it right, then you see that potentially down the road that he will leave the Dallas Mavericks, and that would flip the league on its head, obviously. Um, so I think long term that was the craziest thing that happened. Um, then yeah, I guess those other two massive injuries in the short term, and I guess I mean, you know, the Nets getting eliminated too. I don't know if you wanted me to say that just yet, but in terms of that, that news, I mean, it all happened on the same day. I think it all happened before like two in the afternoon um, uh, for that. So yeah, I think the, the, those are definitely the massive stories in my opinion. Yeah. I think that was the big thing that was a shock to be seeing all that stuff happen. The Dallas thing, I keep an eye on. Obviously he's a Nick fan knowing that like, this is a guy, yeah. you need a star. They have the room for a star. If Luke is not happy, it's going to be a place you don't want to force his way to. Yeah, I mean, we'll see it so far away because he's obviously signing that extension because no one's dumb and turns down $200 million. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of time for them to figure it out. We'll see what happens. They got to get everything right financially to set up the talent around him. But it's definitely um, a case that everyone has to keep an eye uh, uh, very close to. Yeah, so let's go to the Nets. And obviously they were eliminated Saturday night by the – toe of Kevin Durant's foot, basically saving them from basically keeping them from getting advancing to the Eastern conference finals. So they're eliminating over time. And what's your big takeaway from that series? I think the obvious thing is just that the Nets were so injured. They really had no chance. Yeah. And we thought they'd been the, the, the Nets like, listen, I didn't expect them to win. Harden's on one leg. Kyrie's out. The Bucks are such frauds, man. I just got to say, I mean, they're so, they're so not like, and they have a real, real great opportunity to win this title. I would not be shocked if they won it. Um, but my goodness, like I just, that, if that team like ran into anyone that was for real and wasn't injured, they're done. Like they were, they're not, they're not a great team. Giannis is flawed, uh, when it comes down to crunch time, as great of a player as he is, um, Chris Middleton way too inconsistent on the road and, and at home. And 
food has no clue that you could play guys more than 35 minutes in the playoffs. <laughs> uh, it's just to me, to me, it's just one of those things that you play your cards right any year, something can go your way. So it's kind of that kind of thing at this moment in time. So I guess kudos to the bucks for winning, but listen, the Nets window, I think it's still open. Um, they just got to be healthy come playoff time. They weren't healthy down the stretch in general. Um, you can almost say it's a blessing in disguise in a way. I mean, obviously it's, it's awful that you get eliminated, but it's a quick turnaround into next season too. It's not, it's not as long of a layoff as, as normal seasons would have it. So, you know, they have some time, but Katie's already going to to, uh, Japan for the Olympics. So we'll see how it goes. Um, disappointing season. If you're a Nets fan though, because that was without a doubt, they're all healthy. They win the title. They probably win the next series in four. They win, the rest and four. And as a Celtics fan, it is so annoying to see that happen, that we face them in their healthiest moment. Um, but that's the way she goes, I guess. Yeah, it is. And I mean, if you're a net fan, look, you know, like James Harden cried play on one leg, but he was basically very ineffective most of the way because he couldn't do anything but shoot. You had Kyrie go down the ankle injury. It was the turning point of the series. But the thing I'm most disappointed about is that Joe Harris disappeared in that series. And to me, that's the big problem because Joe Harris was the guy you needed to step up. He didn't. Well, that's what happens when you guys get injured and the number four or five guy becomes your number two. That's what happens. It's a consistent, it's like, if he's the main threat, that's who the opposition is worrying about. And it's a really good defensive team in the Nets. I mean, the Bucks, and that's what happens. It's a make or miss league. It, that's what it is. You know, you can get good looks as much as you want. You don't hit your shots. That's it. Um, Joe Harris is a fine player. He gets paid a good amount of money too. It's not like, you know, he's not getting paid a, a hefty amount because Spencer Dinwiddie, another player that they were missing sorely uh, this season, um, was getting $12 million a year. So Harris is up in the high teens. You got to hit your shots. But listen, I'm not – if I'm a Nets fan, I, I would get somewhat annoyed at Joe Harris. But again, that's not – that shouldn't have been the end-all, be-all in a series is coming down to Joe Harris. Should have been down to Kyrie and Harden and, and KD. Um so, I mean, listen, they fought incredibly hard with a thin squad um, against a squad that's incredibly deep and supposed to be, you know, this heavyweight favorite for a title. So, yeah, I think you can give the Nets a pass here for what happened because they all their guys were hurt. But what happened with Philly, man, that's just not good. I mean, Ben Simmons had a vanish. He got the entire playoffs. Here after the game last night, Joel Embiid was basically threw under the bus, say, hey, if we make some, a certain guy makes a layup. We're not in this situation where we're losing this game seven to the Hawks. So what do you think about what happened in Philly? I think it's, they just got exposed for what they were. Doc Rivers. I mean, the track record was there. It was prior to Daryl Morey being hired. So can't really blame Daryl for this. You can blame Daryl for not being more aggressive for trading Ben Simmons. This is who Ben Simmons is. The guy is at this point, he's not um, going to be this first team, all NBA player. Um, winning an MVP like some thought he could. The guy has got the closest thing to the yips in terms of shooting that I've ever seen in my life. Um, We thought Markel was bad. This is just a culmination of everything. You have a bunch of great defensive players, three three all-defensive players on this team, and they can't do anything. Tobias Harris coming up small because that's the type of player he is. He is not worth the money that he was paid. Um, Ben Simmons, it, it this guy once scored one point in a playoff game, Mike, and, and we're supposed to act surprised at what we saw um, within these second halves. They're collapses. Joel Embiid 
he gets a pass, man. There's no way you could rip on this guy. He's scoring all the amount of points. He has a partial tear in his meniscus in his knee. Um, after having a bevy of in- injuries throughout the start of his career, this guy shows up. The excuse for Ben not dunking that ball, it's truly pathetic. Um, and for me, they have to move on as soon as possible. Doc Rivers has to be fired today. Um, and they have to get their own guys in there. I, you know, it, the process failed. It failed. No matter what anyone tells you, it absolutely failed. Sam Hineke, everything he did, I mean, he didn't get to see it through, but it was a failure. Okafor, a bust. Markel Fultz trade, a disaster. They did some other good things, but I mean, they didn't keep Jimmy Butler at the end of the day. It's just, it's just incredible. It's an incredible failure, and they got exposed for what they are, and they are just a second-round team. And the Sixers are not going to win a championship as currently constructed. I don't think they're going to win a championship with these two other stars behind Joel Embiid. And if they can't figure out how to get a star as good next to Joel Embiid, this has been an organizational thing for decades, Mike. I mean, it goes back to Allen Iverson. They never got him a, a, a legit number two next to him. The best player next to him was Dikembe Mutombo. Yeah. Great, yeah. great player, Hall of Famer. But that's not, that's not what you need to beat Shaq and Kobe. That's not what you need to to beat the Nets at the time or the Pistons. It's just it's been an organizational failure for decades now, and they're going to have a real difficult time because Ben Simmons' stock couldn't be lower. Yeah, Tobias I, Harris. No one wants to take on that money, man. Like it's uh, they got to get a coach in there that wants to coach that team. Um, see what happens. Maybe Mike D'Antoni potentially, um, but I'm sure D'Antoni will want to figure out where he wants to go. Um, in regards to that, since his season ended already as well. But um, Sixers got exposed for where they were, man. Um, not very shocked, but great for the Hawks. Amazing leap for them. Yeah, two things about the Sixers I want to touch on here is, number one, how much do you think they regret that picking uh, Tobias Harris or Jimmy Butler right now? Because that would have made such a difference to them. <laughs> I think they regretted it in the bubble, man, <laughs> when they saw that happen. Um, and I think, again, it was a cultural thing. I don't think Jimmy was on board with that. Honestly, like... I, I think he kind of saw what was going down there. I don't think he kind of got along with Ben Simmons and kind of the other cast of characters there. Maybe him and Joel bumped heads, but at least, you know, Joel shows up when it matters most. Um, the other guys don't. So, yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's a massive regret, especially after pulling off a trade like that. But again, that that's what happens when you have Elton Brand as your GM, who never had experience like that. Um, you live and die by decisions as such. So... That's what happens. Yeah, another decision. I think Doc Rivers is one of kicking this into the grave. I mean, they're up 26 in the second half of game six, and the Hawks figure out, hey, let's just do the hack shack on Ben Simmons. He's not going to hit free throws. And the fact that Doc left him in there so long is just like, what are you doing, dude? You have to see the flow of the game. Get somebody in there. Can we shoot the free throws? Listen, Kevin Herter, um, amazing foul. The wherewithal and awareness to know that, okay, foul this guy. He's got the ball. Let's go after him do that, put him on the line. The guy is scared to put in a dunk. What do you think he's going to be like at the free throw line? Um, hit one of two. All series, I don't believe he hit both free throws. Could have been all playoffs, honestly, um, when he goes to the line. He's just – it was just an embarrassment by them. And the coaching, I think Doc Rivers has the all-time record for losses in a, a clinching game for his team. So his team's able to clinch and go to the next round or win the title – he has the most losses in history, meaning his preparation is is terrible. It's a tr- it's an atrocity, and it's the same thing. And again, that's on the Sixers for not knowing that. 
blowing multiple leads as Clippers head coach. Saw him blow leads with the Celtics. Um, it's a trend. It's 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 not even a thing about the players that he has. It's it's honestly on him. And the fact that the Sixers weren't able to figure that out or realize that prior to the hiring, it's pretty embarrassing. Yeah, it is. I mean, let, let's go to the final East Conference Finals here real quick. I mean, I don't think anybody would have had Milwaukee Atlanta on their bingo card when the when the playoffs started, but we are here. And I think this is interesting because the it's this bitterly matchup of the Hawks' firepower against the Bucks' defense. And I want to see if Atlanta tries to duplicate the Brook, the Barkley Center strategy of counting the 10 over Johns on the free throw line. I mean, listen, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I think the Atlanta crowd's going to be going there. I think it's going to be a great series. I think ultimately the Bucks are fair. And by the way, um, just a couple of weeks ago, the Hawks were at plus 10,000 to yeah. win the title. Um, so that's so that's that perspective, by the way. Um, so just uh, just for like some betting people, I, I just found that incredibly fascinating to see. And the Nets were at plus 125 at the time as the clear favorites. Um, yeah, listen, Giannis is going to have to show up. He's going to have some favorable matchups. They're, they're a deeper team with the Hawks. It's really all about the Hawks' health with this. I think they have a better bench. Um, I think they have a better coach in Nate McMillan opposed to Bud, even though I respect Bud on some level, but he just, the guy just doesn't get it come playoff time. Um, and Giannis, again, we got to see, I think there's more pressure on the bucks here again, because they've been in this situation. They've choked in this situation. Um, they're the favorites. I think the Hawks are just playing with house money at this point and to win in three games on the road in Philly is just astonishing as well. They need to sure up their, um, record at home so we'll see what happens but trey young man 22 years of age doing what he's doing right now regardless of the talent he has around his team uh, very happy to see a player like him succeed like this he's just he's just another worldly talent yeah i mean the feel that the carpet hasn't rolled out for the bucks to get to the finals this year because i mean they get the, the heat and nobody says jimmy butler can do anything they get the nets and everybody gets hurt and then they get Atlanta team, it's really just happy to be there and all the pressure is on them because this is the year they don't get to the finals. What's going to happen next year when Brooklyn's healthy and Philly makes some moves? Like, they're going to have some issues. They push themselves or put themselves in a direction where they still try to keep the, keep the score with Budenholzer, even though he should have been fired, but the out was that Giannis hurt his ankle in that series against Miami. But they just basically kind of reloaded and upgraded by a good amount with Drew Holiday. But my goodness, that's not a massive enough upgrade. Middleton, not a superstar. Really good player. Made an all-NBA team last year. Not to that level. He's not going to – I don't think he's a great number two. I think he's like in the bottom half tier of number twos go. Um, you have to have a great number three with him. I don't think Drew Holiday is a great number three like that, even though I like him a lot as a player. If they don't do it this year, then then they have to blow it all up. If you don't make the finals, if you don't win the finals, especially if Chris Paul is going to have some difficulties coming back um, from his positive tests, if they were to make it to the finals, if Kawhi Leonard is truly out for the rest of the playoffs, there's zero excuse. There's no excuse. The Bucs have to win the title at this point. They have to win the title. Um, and they should be the favorites to do so. Uh, talking about the talent that they have on paper, if they don't, I think it's an embarrassment. I think they should blow up everything around Giannis. And, and try again. Um, so, yeah, I, it's do or die for them this year. Zero excuse. Yeah, let's go to the West for a minute, because obviously, as you mentioned, you had the two big things hanging over the series, which is Chris Paul being stuck in the health and safety protocols for who knows how much longer, Kawhi's ACL injury. Which one's the bigger deal, in your opinion? 
Um, the funny thing is there's been no confirmation about outside of that Shams tweet about that ACL injury for Kawhi. Um, so you would have thought that it would already been confirmed at this point. Um, I think Kawhi's a bigger deal for, I don't, I, they're such massive deal. I think Kawhi's a bigger deal because that's a longer term one. I think Chris Paul can return somewhat within this series at some point. Um, if Kawhi, if it's truly an ACL injury, that's it. Like they need him to win the title. If Kawhi were to come back and it's not as severe as we all thought, then Kawhi and, and the Clippers are absolutely the favorites to win the title and they should. Um, but for the Suns, again, I think things are just rolling their way, man. Like each round, Anthony Davis banged up. Um, there's no Jamal Murray with the Nuggets. Um, now they don't have Kawhi. A lot of things going their way. And they've been able, and they did a great job yesterday. Like, listen, that's a that's a tough spot not having a leader like Chris Paul like that um, in that situation. But I think Monty Williams is actually the best head coach left in the playoffs. Um, so for me, kudos, kudos for them, man. I mean, Ty- Tyron Lue as well, doing an amazing job. Um, especially when you see man go off like that in an elimination game, just absolutely insane ACC player. Um, great to see that happen. I, you know, I, I think Kawhi is the bigger loss long-term because I think CP3 will be back because um, Kawhi is that good. I think when healthy, Kawhi is the best player left in the playoffs. Yeah, I also think that this has also been the playoffs where we see De- the Devin Booker coming out party because people knew he was good, but like, People don't realize how dominant he can be. We saw that yesterday. Like, this is sort of becoming the Devin Booker breakout part of these playoffs. Yeah, I, I always thought Devin Booker was this great of a player. Um, I'm not shocked by the slightest to see this happen. He just needed support to get into the playoffs and, and give him that. Um, yeah, this is his coming out party on a, on a national audience level. So, for me, I think it's great. Um, to see him do this and step up. DeAndre Ayton, guys like Cameron Payne step up, Michael Bridges. Um, and again, talk about Philly being sick to their stomach, seeing their local star kid get traded and go out there and actually make it to the conference final and contribute like he's doing. Um, so, yeah, just all, all around great performance. And that game was amazing yesterday. And kudos to Paul George, too, because he's kind of exercising some of the demons that he's had in the playoffs. Um, still needs to do a better job. He had a great first game. Uh, in my opinion. So I, I think it's awesome to see Devin Booker show out like this. And I, I think he's going to continue to play great in this round. And if they make it to the next, I think he's going to have a great finals as well. Let's go keys to victory here. What about the West? What do you think is the key victory for each of these teams? Can I say getting Chris Paul back? <laughs> or, yeah, that, um, that, that could be I one. mean, that would be the lazy take. Um, I, I think, again, it's just, for the Clippers, I'll say this. If Kawhi doesn't come back, Paul George has to be everything that they think. Um, the the second unit, um, like a guy like Luke Kennard, you have to be consistent. You have to get your money's worth. Zubac has to dominate his matchups. Their bench just has to outplay their bench. And I respect the Suns bench. There's some quality pieces on there. Um, but again, um, it's going to have to be that you can't rely on Terrence Mann to do that every single game. I mean, he just had the nine points. Again, you can't get angry at the guy. He's on he's on four shots, but he has to play better defense. You pick up too many fouls like that. I don't expect much from Boogie. Uh, Marcus Morris is, has to do a much better job of hitting his shots. Can't go 0 for 5 from 3. Um, and Batum as well. Those, those veteran guys have to step up. 
because um, there's a lot of experienced players within this team. So we'll we'll see what happens with them. As for the Suns, you get back Chris Paul, the series is over. Especially if Kawhi doesn't return. I think they're good enough. They won this game at home. We'll see what happens because the Clippers played amazing um, at, at the Staples Center. So, got it. Someone's got to get get them, get them in check. Pat Bev has to go on, um, you know, Booker for more stretches. If you got it, you got to find him the minutes to get in there. Beverly for 15 minutes isn't long enough. Um, regardless of what he gives you on offense, if he doesn't give you a lot, you got to put him on there. Or even try switching Paul George on Devin Booker. Just you got to do it. You got to do it. You could live and die if Jay Crowder is the one hitting the threes in your face or bridges, you know, get these matchups in there. If you have a great defender like Paul George, you got to use him to your advantage in this. Just like the Heat used to put LeBron on Derrick Rose. Yeah, it's not like for like matchup in terms of position, but you have to put your best defender on their best offensive player. Yeah, it makes some sense. I think in terms of the East, I think the one thing if you're Milwaukee, you have to do, which is something the Knicks and the Sixers couldn't do is like, Find a way to attack Trey Young defensively because honestly, he puts so little effort into defense because nobody's been able to expose him. I think that's why he's able to so, he's down on the offensive end. Make him work on that end and make that harder, make it make his life harder. They should, but I just sometimes that offense is so inconsistent. I I personally think it's a good matchup for the Bucks. Um, people people are kind of off on it and think that they're gonna have a hard time defending some of their guys. But if Giannis is able to take out like a, a Gallo in that game or he's on Kevin Herter, I have no idea what Bogdanovich's situation is going to be for the whole series. That's kind of up in the air. Um, it's kind of on their side. And I think Brooke Lopez is going to have a really solid series um, um, offensively. Defensively, him going up against Clint Capella, I'm genuinely fascinated by that. Um, I just think the Hawks have the better depth in this. And if they could stay healthy – I think that's all that matters. But you're right. The way teams attack Steph Curry at times is going to be very similar blueprint to what you have to do against Trey Young. And Drew Holiday has to be that guy for it. Um, I have no doubt Middleton will step up in this series, but Drew Holiday is the X factor for the Bucs, in my opinion. Um, no worries about Giannis. I think Giannis is going to absolutely dominate. Just no, no doubt in my mind for that. Yeah, what about Atlanta? What do you think Atlanta has to do in this series? Besides, obviously, let Trey Young cook. I think I think it's got to be, you know, if if Bogey is healthy, then he's just got to shoot the lights out of it. It's just it's just when Trey Young sets you up, you have to hit your shots. Otherwise, if they defend if the Bucks defend well enough on the perimeter, which they're capable of doing, and they make their life difficult, then it's going to be a problem. Um, yeah, and I think that bench has just got to step up. Kevin Herter, I don't think he's going to have games like that every single night. But again, you you think you think about it in general, like it's like they faced a team that had three all defensive players, and they had and they had some great times doing it. Bucks aren't as strong defensively, but they match up well. I just again, it's just about letting Trey Young set up and and put his guys into position. If Yesterday, he didn't even have 30 points. I don't even think he got to 25 points last night. He could have, but with the free throws. But Trey Young playing to that, that, uh, that, um, that level and them still winning on the road is, is just a, you know, a discussion about how great of a player he is. He got to 21 points. He shot off at 523, 2-11, six turnovers. He didn't play that great, um, but, he, but he stepped up when it counted. Um, so yeah, honestly, it's just guys like Gallo and Bogey hitting their shots. Otherwise, I, I expect Trey Young to step up. Um, 
So, yeah. All right. Before we get to your finals picks, let me throw you a different question here. If you are ABC and you have the finals here, assuming Kawhi is out with this ACL injury, what two teams do you want in there to try and get you the best ratings? I think it's just star power. I think Giannis against Chris Paul. I well, actually, you know, I, I don't know. I say the LA market, even if it's the Clippers. I guess it would have to be Bucks and um, and Clippers. Even without just because Ka- of LA. Even without Kawhi, it's the second team in the market. Yeah, it's just yeah, it really is. You know what I mean? Yep. It's just it's still the Clippers, but it's that LA title. Um, Paul George is still a popular player. Um, it's going to be their first ever finals. And then and the best part is the parody and all this. I think the team most recent to have won a title in this is actually the Bucks. Um, yeah. So in 1971, that's what Oscar Robertson and Kareem. So, um, yeah, I would say that is for, for the ratings. Um, not the sexiest, though, but it's, it's what's going to, you know, it's what they're probably going to be rooting for. Now, I think the most low-key fun series of the bunch is Phoenix Atlanta, because you're getting scoring galore. I think that's what I think the I think like the NBA TV fan wants that one. I don't know if that ABC wants that one. I agree. And also, like, I think I think Phoenix wins that. And the amount of respect that Chris Paul is finally going to get is gonna be awesome. And I don't want to hear anyone saying about, oh, well, Chris Paul had luck with injuries on the way. Go look at Chris Paul's history with luck in the playoffs and then you tell me what was fair or not. So um, I genuinely kind of hope out of these four teams, I know you didn't ask me, but I genuinely hope it's the Suns. Um, and it would be nice to see the Clippers win because you and I can relate. Obviously your podcast can relate second rate teams in a, in a city uh, dominated by, you know, legendary franchises such as the Lakers. It's great to finally see them get a, get a, get a title, you know, um, the team I least likely want to see win is, is the Bucs because I just I can't I hate watching them play. Honestly, yeah. it's not it's not it's not great basketball with good. I mean, it is, but it, it's it's not crunch time. It just seems so unworthy of a title, if that makes sense. Yeah. So let's make some picks here. Who do you think is going to the finals? Um, I think it's Bucks are going to beat the Hawks um, six or seven. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if the Hawks won, but I, I think there's zero excuses for the Bucks not to make it. Um, and I'm basing this off of Kawhi not going to play, and I assume CP3 will return. I think the Suns will make it to the final, so it'll be Suns-Bucks. Yeah, I think that I agree with that, Peg. I think if the Clippers are going to win this series, they had to get one of the games that CP3 is not playing in, in Phoenix, and they already lost one of them, so if they don't get Tuesday, I think. It's gonna be a hard, a hard uh, hill. For them I mean, to climb. they played it. They played it close. It's just about limiting Devin to that amount, and their bench has to play better. So it's not, it's not out of the question. Um, uh, you know, there's like silver linings and angles you could go with to it. Um, you know, Booker plays that well. Their whole starting five was really good. Um, if you could just, there's, there's a difference between letting players go off and then limiting them. If you could keep Devin Booker to his average, it's a win. If Devin Booker goes off like this, then it's a loss. Um, so so we'll see what happens. Um, but, yeah, they got to get this next one, in my opinion. If they don't win any of these games in Phoenix, it's a wrap. Yes, yeah, because we're in today recording on Monday. This is day six of the isolation period for Chris Paul. So, like, you figure. I saw an update on him. I forgot I forgot exactly what it was. Um, it wasn't um, a great one, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, because even if we assume he goes the max 10 days, like he's back game four most likely. So 
you basically have two more shots here to try and get one without him on the floor. That's, yeah. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe they do show up and get this game. I'm going to be shocked. I mean, they played well. He's, he's symptom-free is what Chris Haynes was saying 10 hours ago. So, excuse me. That's what um, – so, so, I mean, he could be back sooner than later. Um, I don't think he's going to be back for game two. I think soon as Chris Ball is back, it's game three. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, also one of those things you watch with that series of Chris Paul, because even then he's been in isolation for how long. He hasn't been able to get out and do a ton. So you wonder, like, what kind of shape he's going to be when he gets back on the floor. Maybe. It, you know, it's so funny because you could always play the angle, like, oh, he got rest. He's symptom-free, so it's not really going to be affecting him and his lungs. Um, but, again, sometimes too much rest is not a good thing. Um, but, again, if you come back in game three, you're up 2-0, say, for example – He's, he's going to be doing well. Like, just at least he's getting some good minutes to get his cardio back in. And say they take a game in, you know, L.A., it, it's great. Um, so I, I think there's only positives for that. There are, Martia. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can you follow social media on some of the stuff you're up to? Yeah, you can just follow me on uh, social media at uh, Martino Puccio, State of Play podcast, um, The Athletic, some of the stuff I'm writing. We've been giving out picks. Me and three other writers from the athletic have been giving out picks, um, just p- picking a winner every single day um, in the in the Euros. Um, I had my Euro 2020 preview. I said Italy. I picked as my team for the best value to win the tournament. They moved from like plus 850 um, when I wrote that. They're all the way up to like 520 now um, after having a great group stage. So you can check out all that stuff on there. Um, thanks for having me on again. Always fun to talk. Um, hopefully the Mets do well in this doubleheader today. Um, starting to get really sick of the lineup we've been putting out lately. So, uh, hope it goes well. Yeah. I mean, I talked about that at the top of the show this week, this week with the Mets, because I mean, this is sort of the point where you can sort of see that the JV line is getting a little tired here where some of these guys are seeing the wear from getting a lot more at bats than they're used to. But the good news is, I mean, like Jeff McNeil's supposed to be back today, Michael Ford by the end of the week, maybe Brandon Nimmo shortly after that, you know, the group's starting to get together. Yeah, I just, it's this week, like you have to, I, like I'm fine with splitting some of these double headers. It sucked losing three or four. Listen, I didn't expect to win the series in Washington. I just hurt more with no offense and losing a Lucchese start like that. And then again, losing a guy like Lucchese, it's like they're put in, they're put in flux with, they kind of have to make a move now to uh, trade for a guy. Um, so, I mean, we'll see what ends up happening there. I And again, keep on talking in that chat with Will about the D-backs fall faltering like that gotta go try and purge them try and get something from them um they need a bat like that i i, I think what we truly need mike is is a kelly johnson juan uribe type move where it's a, it's a really good hitter that we can plug into the lineup or even um a pitcher to that extent and you know i mean i'm not saying tyler clippard level and someone a little bit better hopefully um gotta make moves like that gotta make a move like that um because this is the most important month of the season, in my opinion. So if we could get out of this kind of unscathed or a good enough position within first place, then we're in good shape. Yeah, speaking of the Diamondbacks, I know that, like, you know, I end the show, we could have a better week than somebody's team fans are suffering. I might make that the permanent Diamondbacks spots, because that team is 2-31 and 31 since May 16th, which is brutal. They're ba- they're, Gary and Keith were talking about how they're breaking records of the 63 Mets, and yeah. 62 Mets. Those are the worst teams of all time. So that's all you need to know. And of course, those two wins 
one of those wins was against the Mets. <laughs> yeah. So of course, of course, it was us. Yeah, they won the they won the carnival game in the tenth inning on one of those. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, I for I who was the one who blew that one? Was we, it Trevor May? Diaz blew the save. I think Trevor May gave it up in the tenth. Yeah, embarrassing. Yeah, but they, but they, but they, again, if they don't have the carnival game, I don't think they're winning. I don't think they're winning that game. Either way, we yeah. lost to a team that's in a two and thirty-one stretch. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not it's not great optics, but um, we got to step up in the in the sweep. All right, Mar- yeah, all right. We'll keep an eye on that, Martina. Thanks again. I appreciate. It. Yeah, no problem, man. The Separatist Conspiracy begins to come to light. Mace Windu and Jar Jar form an unlikely pair. Yoda begins an important journey and more as the Sky Guys are back to recap Season 6, The Lost Missions of the Clone Wars. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast talking more Clone Wars. Season 6 in the books, The Lost Missions. We are talking about it today. Coming to you a quick turnaround because the shorter season only 13 episodes. Joining me today, first up, as always, the guy always on the hunt for the conspiracy theories here, Pete Considori. Pete, how are you? This was this was just terrifying for me to get <laughs> 13 episodes done in two weeks. I, I did not think I was going to get it done. I watched the last episode today in pure Pete Considori fashion. Uh, but a very interesting season. I loved it. We'll talk about it, um, me, you, and Nick. So um, excited to be here. Yeah, as we are. And also with us, the guy who last time was not so thrilled to be going back this season. Nick Ryan is here. Nick, how are you? I'm doing well. And Pete, I gotta let you know I joined you on this journey. I watched episode 10 today. 11, 12, 13. I was with you on this it's one. Fun, right? It's it's a little anxious, a little nerve-wracking. Yeah, and I, I was on episode um, <laughs> five, I want to say on Monday. <laughs> so you really zoomed I, through here to get to the end. I'm, I'm rubbing yeah. off my nick. This isn't good. It was tough. We have a lot going on with uh moving, so it's a lot a lot of moving pieces. So it's been tough for me to like sit down and actually watch them. I haven't had a lot of time, but yeah, I made time. Having the softball game rained out actually helped you in that case. Yeah, it did. Yeah, so it did. yeah, so we're getting into season six, and I have to say, just before we dive into the specific arc, there's only four of them, but I think this was a hot take. I think I love this season because there was not really a high like the Mandalore arc was from season five, but there were no eight episode runs of gunwings and droids. It felt like it all very nicely. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, I I think we we benefited from the short season right i mean i think we talked about this week after week that if this wasn't a 22 episode thing um we probably wouldn't need like filler episodes i don't think we had any filler episodes in this season i really enjoyed the backstory kind of i call it backstory because i'm looking ahead toward movies and things that happen after the clone wars but i like that informational kind of arcs that happened in this season um, but like I said, I think we benefited having less episodes. I think those that shortened season makes it condensed where you have to get a lot in in a short amount of time. You don't have time for stupid droid arcs or anything like that. Yeah, Nick, what do you think about going back to? I know you were not thrilled when we were talking about this last time. No, I like this season. I want to make sure that you didn't like misunderstand me. I said I just don't like this season as much as I like last season, and maybe is not as much as four. I don't really know. Maybe like a tie. Maybe this one a little bit better. But I just my point is I just didn't like it nearly as much as uh, Revival season five. Yeah, I think season five is like as I mentioned when we were watching, we were doing this was it two weeks ago now. The last arc in five for me is the second best arc, and to me, you know, if they had the best arc, you're a good season. You know, that's what I'm looking forward to watching. And this is a good season. 
everything in this every episode in the season is pretty good. There's a lot of good backstory, as Pete said, and it, it's almost nice to take a little break away from the Ahsoka and the and like stuff like that. It's more like I guess this kind of relates more to the movies this season than the other ones do with like the chip and the well, and not really Rush Clovis, but in the end too with the Yoda stuff. Like all the Yoda stuff is giving you more information about the movies, so. Yeah, Rush does relate, I think. I'll get to why in a bit, but I think I want to start out. We'll go to the first arc of season, which is the arc where we about the inhibitor chips, Order 66, where the trooper Tup has his chip activate prematurely. He kills one of the Jedis on a on a mission. And we have this episode where Fies, basically Tup's best friend, goes to try and figure out what happened with the chips. And we see that, yes, it was a conspiracy player planted in there. That's how Order 66 is activated. I think it was fun watching Fies try and unearth this and seeing the machinations, the whole extent of conspiracy, the Caminoans were in on it, and that Tyrannus basically had them put in. Palpatine knows the whole thing. So, Nick, what'd you think about this? So when I watch this, <clears throat> I kind of forget, because I know this. Do we know this stuff from the movies? Did, like, if you've never seen this, do you know that Tyrannus is the reason that the chip is in them? Or do I just know that because I've seen this before? It's not in the movie. Okay, so that's obviously, I guess that's huge information then. But I like this arc because it's, shows you exactly what happened when he says order 66 You're like, what is that he just told people to do stuff and they just did it i understand he's in charge but now we know why and now we understand in the bad batch how their chips didn't work and you know stuff like you know it it, it, it comes full circle as we say a lot in star wars yeah pete what do you think about this arc because i like i love watching fives in this one to try and solve this and his relationship with the droid az13 was fun yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with Nick with a lot of points he made. I think this is huge information. In the movies, we don't really know that, you know, Lord Tyrannus, who is Count Dooku, is the person who was orchestrating all this, of course, under the advisement of uh, Darth Sidious, who is Chancellor Palpatine. Um, we don't really get that vibe until episode three in the movies, right? You don't know what's really going on up until that point. This is the blatant, like, hey, we, we, we did this. This is part of the whole plan. We have used this to our advantage, and this was the whole point of the Clone Wars in general. Um, and I think this season gives that whole vibe of, hey, we're going to let you know this was our plan, and it's finally working, and it's coming to a head now. Now we're now we're going to get close. I'm assuming in season um, seven, we're going to see Order 66 executed, and we're going to be at the end of the Clone War by the end of the season. I could be wrong, um, but I feel like that's where we're going. Yeah, I also think Nick Fives as a character. I mean, we've seen him before where he basically, I think he plays a big role in the arc on uh, Umbara where they are. he's part of Krell's force where they end up turning on yeah. him. So I think it was cool to see him and we have somebody we're familiar with be the, the fall guy for this where you, you see he's trying to get this plot exposed, but there's too many things working against him. What do you think of Fives in the arc? Love him. And I think it's, I think this is proof that the show succeeded. Yeah. Season one and the movie treat these clones like individuals and we don't want to we're looking at them like like Plo Clone said to the, the clone in the second episode ever like we're dispendable sir he said not to me and we're watching it like all right they're all clones we don't care and now we know these these clones on a personal level after watching six seasons of this show we like five we like rex we like um you know whoever else echo and you know like these these, these clones are commander cody like these clones are a part of us now we know their personalities we're we see them and we actually care about a clone individually. And that's show that to me, that's proof that this show succeeded because that was the goal of this show was to make you 
look more in depth of what happened in these three years, understand what happened, feel for the clones. And it did exactly that. Yeah. And Pete, the other thing I think I was surprised me watching that arc specifically was like how in I the Kaminoans were, because I think the thing that's pretty crazy is like, at first you see them, you don't, I know they're presenting them attack of the clones itself. It's like, okay, maybe, you know, they're just droid make clone makers. They're buying things. They don't have like a real impact on it. But the way that Nala say is talking to Dooku in this thing, it's clear they're in on this and they know exactly what they're involved in and that they are very, very eager to not let the truth about the chips get out. Yeah, I think Pete might have frozen again. So and what do you think, Nick, about that? Uh, yeah, you see more of that in the Bad Batch too, you know, um, with the Kamin, the Kam- how do you say it? The Kaminoans? I, 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 either Kaminoans, maybe. Yeah, I think, I think it's Kaminoans. Yeah. So the, the Kaminoans are they're in on this. And, you know, you didn't you didn't pick up on that at all in the movies. In the movies, you were just under the impression that they were just hired to do this. And now we kind of see they're in on this. Like, you can see, especially in the Bad Batch, you see this, like, with Tarkin being there a lot and whatnot. But, yeah, it's interesting to see them being in on it. It's something that I did not expect at all when I saw the movies for the first, you know, however many times I've seen them until I watched the, even, even after watching this season, it never really hit stuck to me that they're in on it, but it's interesting to think that they are. Cause I always thought of them as more of good guys, not really bad guys. And P it's funny when you think about that, I mean, now going, going ahead to bad, bad, and you see that they basically get screwed by the empire and saying, Hey, we don't need you anymore. Like we don't need, we're going to get script soldier. It's nice. To come up to them to see how stupid they were to get home, get owned by the empire. Yeah. I, I mean, I think they, didn't understand that they weren't going to have to keep producing clones after the clones did their job, right? If there's no Jedi and there's no, you know, balance of the force, or there's no back and forth, you don't need all these clones. We'll just hire regular soldiers, a regular army. That's where we get stormtroopers. Um, and I think that, you know, the later movies do a great job in showing how badly trained the stormtroopers are um, and how well and how precise and what kind of precision soldier these these clone troopers are because they're taking that dna from Django fett um it, it's funny nick mentions that like you never really think of uh, the the people from camino to be bad or anything like that um it 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 clicks right like at first when you're watching the movies you don't really know there's like an inhibitor chip you don't understand why the clones just kind of turn you do and you don't it's just kind of like a in the movie just happens when you're watching this show and you see how involved the you know the plan of Camino and everything going on in those in that in that facility it it makes sense they're in on it it kind of clicks and goes okay they were definitely they're putting the chips in they're not just growing chips randomly you know genetically so I, I really I do think that they kind of get screwed over by the Empire but I think that's like their mo right I don't think the Empire really cares they just wanted to have their plot pan out and it did. Yeah, it did. And another part of the plot comes in the next arc here, which is the Rush Clovis arc, which, I mean, I saw Rush was back, like, oh, great. Like, he was sucked in season two. I don't want to see him again. But I thought it was satisfying seeing him basically get played like a chump by, by Dooku. Basically, the whole thing, stress of the arc is, hey, the banking clan has a Ponzi scheme, and they're not paying, and they're just taking money off the top, not paying either side. Like, they, Dooku uses Clovis to say, hey, you can charge the banks, then we're not going to pay any any of our interest on our loans, and it's a whole bit machination. At the end of the arc, Palpatine has the banks, so you see it's a nice another piece of the puzzle here for Palpatine. Say, okay, I have the clones, now I have the money, the Empire starting to come together here. So, Nick, it's a very impressive move. Yeah, I do want to say, Clovis sucks, but he doesn't suck. He's not a bad character, he's just kind of, he's just annoying, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
like I want to I want to punch him. I like that Anakin punches him, but I don't mind him as a character per se. I feel like he does what he's supposed to do well. But you're completely right that you're just seeing the Empire or the Republic become the Empire in front of our own eyes, slowly but surely. You have the clones, the money, as you said, and I, I just love the. You know, we'll get more to it a little bit later, but I love the way the Sith worked in this season. Yeah. You know, the last couple of seasons, we haven't really seen much of the Sith. We're seeing Maul and Savage and Ventress. They're not really Sith. They're more just dark side users. These are the two Sith, you know, the rule of two. Like, these are the two actual Sith. And we're seeing a lot of them this season. And you know how, like, when you watch episode four, you know, um, A New Hope, the good guys win. Episode five, the bad guys win. Kind of thing, yeah. the Empire Strikes Back. This seems like a bad guys one type of season by a long shot. Yeah. And P, I also think good point there. I also think we did we need the conclusion to the Anakin Padme Clovis love triangle thing because that was probably the most cringy part of the arc. So I'm hot take here. Rush Clovis is a more important character than everyone thinks. And it's because <laughs> of that love triangle, the triangle. I mean, we talked about Anakin's woes, right? We talk about what made Anakin go to the dark side. We never ever saw Padme waver to anything when it came to their love or their relationship until this, right? Yes, there was like, okay, Anakin is, is you know, that very bold person who says, you know, almost a little bit like my way or the highway. I'm a Jedi master. You know, we shouldn't be doing this, but I'm doing it anyway because I love you. We have never seen in the movies Padme go, you know what? I, I just need some time from you. I don't, I don't like what you did to my ex-boyfriend. Right. In, in the real world. Right. If you if, if you know, your girlfriend says something about, you know, gets mad at you for something you did, your ex boy, her ex boyfriend, you're pissed off. Like, imagine in this scenario where Anakin has been the gambit has been running him when it comes to just heartbreaking stuff. He just has to walk away and go, OK, I just lost the love of my life because I punched her ex yeah. and she's taking the side of of um, her ex. I think this is huge for his mental stability being broken and why he goes to the Sith. So hot take, com- this arc is... I completely agree. Important one. I completely agree. Completely agree. But I also just think that... the lo- I actually th- I like the love triangle for a reason in that it's so satisfying to see Rush just get knocked out by Anakin. Yeah. Oh, 100%. So it's, it's almost like when you... When they used to say that back in the day... In- WWE it was so satisfying seeing Stone Cold Steve Austin punch his boss right in the face because you have all these grown men watching the TV show thinking all day Monday, I wish I could punch my boss in the face and you see someone do it. It kind of reminds me of that as like this guy is such an asshole, he's cocky, and the whole time all I want to do is see someone clock him in the face and that's exactly what happens to him. He gets what he deserves. Yeah, and the dude's weak. The dude's completely weak. He gets <laughs> he gets manipulated. Oh yeah, he's weak physically, he's weak person. mentally. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it it it's a long time coming, but again, I think he's more important than I think may many people outside of this podcast probably give him credit for. I also want to know what did Padme see in this guy? I mean, weren't they both weren't they both in the Senate together? Like, wasn't yeah. that the whole thing? Yeah, it must have been a work yeah. connection. Yeah, they were both political. They were both in the political fields and the and and, and I don't know handsomeness. I I don't know. I mean, it's a cartoon character, so I can't really speak on attractiveness, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mean, I would assume he's supposed to be portrayed as attractive. I would right. say he, he, he seems like one of those, like, you know, weak player types, like, Oh, I'm going to talk a big game, but when it comes down to it, I can't do anything. Right. Yeah. So I think that's where, you know, who knows, maybe the attraction came from that. I, I don't know, but what does Padme see in Anakin? He's, he's, he's a Jedi master. So, yeah. 
I will also say, Pete, I know you've been notably down on Baylor guy on this podcast. He's the one guy who votes no to Russ Clovis being the banking clan guy. So good job for him. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I was just a little taken aback by that whole scenario yeah. that we were talking about for that arc. But yeah, I mean, I he knows what to do. He knows what's right and what's wrong. I feel like he's the only level-headed guy there in the Senate that's like, hang on, wait a minute. This doesn't seem right. I don't like you. No, I don't trust you. And Anakin was the same way. I don't trust him. And then, you know, Chancellor Palpatine's like, I don't trust him either, but let's keep an eye on him. Let's see what happens. Of course, he knows what's going on, so that's why he appoints him. Yeah. I definitely think they try to show a little bit. They don't. I think they fail at it, but they try to show a lot of Anakin and... Um, Bail Organa kind of being friendly and friends. They do it a little bit in episode three, how he talks with him a little bit. Like they have a little, they try to show that they have some sort of friendship because that's why I think they're trying to make sense of the fact at the end of three where Bale says, my wife and I will take the girl, like I'll adopt his child kind of thing. Yeah. They try to show them as being close, but I think they fail at it. I don't think they show them being close enough. Yeah, I took it more. He was closer to Padme. He's sort of friendly with Anakin. Like, yeah, no, yes, yes, of course. But I think he should have. He should have made him a little bit closer with Anakin. They tried, but I don't. Or they, they don't show enough of him and Padme either. Yeah, that's well. I mean, it's sort of like he, he didn't have big enough role in the show. No, he doesn't. Let's move on to the next arc here, which is probably the the one people don't talk about the most, but the probably one of the more fun ones we've had in a while, which is this pairing of Jar Jar Binks and Mace Windu investigating a forced disappearances on Bardada. And Pete, it looks like you have some thoughts on this one. You know, I didn't think we can get any more. What's the word I'm looking for? Low. <laughs> the Jar Jar Binks arcs. Now we got to give him a love interest. Like, I don't, I don't get why that's a thing. Like it's Jar Jar freaking Binks. Who the hell loves that? Who is like a? That's not it. Make, uh, all right, it's uh, that might have been the throwaway arc of the season, right? It was only yeah. like what two episodes, three yeah, episodes. Two. It kind of shows Mace Windu in action a little bit more because you don't really see him a lot, and I feel like that was a, a nice time to shine for him. Oh my god, why does he have a love interest? I, I don't get why that's important. To anything in this show, it's almost as bad as Zero the Hut, and I and I don't take that lightly. I understand Zero the Hut's horrible, but like, ugh, no, just no. Mike, I'm calling it right now. That last forty seconds is going up on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that Jar Jar love interest thing is very interesting, and I think it was so funny though, like watching that arc, just seeing him. And having to be the guy negotiating for, on behalf of Mace Windu, and Mace Windu's getting pissed off by it, and them having to work together. Like, I thought it was funny. Give me that over over the draw, any of the drawers we've gotten. That's my personal take. I didn't like it, but I'm with you. It's it was funny. It's better than the droid arc because at least I could laugh a little bit. I didn't like it, but again, at least I could laugh at it. Yeah. Plus, it's only two episodes. All these drawers are four. Yeah, it was better than and 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 the bad news is we are not done with bad arcs in the show. I believe the worst arc is next season. Worse than the droids. It might be. It is so bad. There's a, there's, there's three arcs next season total. Yeah. There's three four episode arcs. There's the bad batch arc, which we all know, we all know about because of the show. Then there's the, the the sisters who are in the bad batch. Those four I think are the worst. And then there's the final four, which are like in my opinion the best four episodes of the entire show. Yeah. So. So that those middle four though are brutal. Yeah, that's going to be rough when we get to that point. But I think also with this one, 
It was nice to have Mother Talzin pop back up here. Like, it didn't, I would have been nice to have more like Lee up as sort of a she was the one pulling the strings on that thing, but not, it was odd to see her get taken down by Jar Jar. That felt a little weird. A little weird? <laughs> she created Savage and Bull, and Jar Jar Binks comes out of nowhere and is like, I got her. No problem. What? Yeah. It, it's like, it's almost like what oh, it is. Like, you know, Jar Jar does, he does these things by accident. You yeah. know what I mean? Like oh. in episode one, like he trips over something and then it blows up the other, the other, the other end the enemy ship. Like that's his thing. But it, uh, yeah, I'll tell I'll tell you something. If they actually went with the whole Jar Jar Binks is a Sith Lord thing, at least it would make sense. Yeah. But they didn't go that route. It's, it's just uh, it, still, like, still open for debate. It is still open for debate, but like, huh, like what? Now Mother Townsend's in it. What was the point of her being in this arc? What what was she trying to gain from this? We 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 understand what she does in this his whole series, but what exactly is she trying to gain? Does she really think she's going to be the most powerful being on in the universe with the Sith Lords and everything like that because she's sucking the life out of random people? Like I, I whatever. I will say if in case you guys didn't know, and I'm assuming you didn't. Canonically speaking, she is not dead. Yeah. Jar Jar did not kill her. She's still alive. She has escaped. We won't, we won't be seeing her anymore, but she does die, but she does not die on, on screen. You have to read a comic to see her Star, death. Star Wars episode 10 coming your way. She yeah. is she is slayed by Grievous. Off screen. Off screen. Yeah. There's another there's a couple of deaths that are off screen too. Another character that we didn't see this season who we're not seeing again is Ventress. Yeah. She's gone. Yeah, and she dies too. We don't see her death on screen at all. Yeah, we'll get to those in a little bit. I would, I would like to see those characters again, but unfortunately, we don't get to. One character you could still see, P. We could see Jar Jar in the Bad Batch if all goes well. I will delete Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you think about it, actually, he's not in the next season, and he doesn't have any speaking roles in Episode Three, and that's the last time we see him. So what we just saw is Jar Jar in the timeline. The last time we ever hear him speak. Yeah, again, unless the, unless he appears in Bad Batch, which we, we can never rule out. Yeah, as of now, it's the last time. But I, you know, I'd love to see him in Bad Batch. Yeah, I'd love to I, see. I'm not I'm not a big Jar Jar fan. I don't hate the guy, but I'm not I'm not a big fan. But but I would like to see him again. See what he's up to. A big thing for me that I've always said that I, I a little disappointed with Star Wars is not Jar Jar, but how come we've never ever seen except for a split second in Rogue One and a split second in Episode Six, Return of the Jedi? What does Coruscant look like under Imperial rule? Why can't I see what they apparently they built the Imperial Palace on top of the Jedi Temple? Yeah. Why haven't we seen that? That sounds awesome. I'd love to see it. What is it like living in the streets of Coruscant with the Empire under rule? We see random planets all the time. I want to see what Coruscant looks like. You see it in very split second in Rogue One in a flashback scene where you can't make anything out. It's just a flashback. And you see it in Return of the Jedi when they knock down the statue in the special edition, but that's not even really canon. See yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's, I think it is canon, the special, I'm not sure. But either way, I want to see more of that place. Yeah, I would too. I will also say with the Jar Jar thing, like imagine a scene of like him and Wrecker trying to interact. That would be funny. Oh God. <laughs> I, I, look, I'm okay with him being in a scene. I don't want to, I don't want more arc centered around him, but I'm okay with the scene of Jar Jar. Yeah. I mean, if he shows up for an episode, I'm fine with it. But like, if they try and make him the star of a show again, like they, this, this one was not going to work. Yeah. Agreed for me. All right, let's get to our last arc here, which is probably the most fun arc of the season, which is Yoda's quest arc. And we got a major backstory piece here. I didn't know we got in this show. I mean, Pete, we got the Sifo Diaz building the 
clone thing revealed, and we find out, obviously, that Dooku was the one who went with him, and Dooku backstabbed him and killed him. So what did you think we got that piece of information? I, I mean, a lot of information was, was given. I mean, most of episode three was in that whole, uh, you know, he goes into like the hollowed out tree or the cave or whatever it was. And he, he, he sees pretty much the future of, of Anakin killing Dooku. And, and you hear Darth Vader's breaths, you hear his respirator, right? While, so it, it makes, it sounds so, I don't want to use the word like, normal but it's almost like yoda wasn't phased by it it's just like okay we're gonna we're gonna go through episode three we just kind of have to play along with the with the game i know exactly what's gonna happen but i'm not gonna prepare for it we're not gonna do anything about it we're just gonna keep going like it just it seemed like it was very like i don't know like yeah it's like oh yeah i saw it, but i don't believe it maybe i do you know even though he's hearing qui-gon Jin's voice you know and all that stuff well i also think and and nick you can correct me if i'm wrong mike you as well i think this whole arc kind of maybe explains how force ghosts come oh, about a hundred percent considering yeah. you know when when you know before this whole qui-gon Jin speaking to yoda part you know when a jedi passes away there's no identity anymore the force just kind of goes into the cosmic area of of the force instead of the the reality area of it so then you know it makes you wonder okay when did obi-wan and anakin go through what yoda went through to be able to manifest in an individual way so there was a lot of a lot of not plot holes that were made because of it but like it gives you a little more questions as well it's like well then what did, when did obi-wan go through this when did anakin go through this that you could see the force ghosts and have identity so you know there's um it was definitely a lot of information um i really like that it happened on dogaba i really like that um but overall, it just also makes me wonder, like, hey, they kind of served it up on a silver platter. Why did episode three happen? Yeah, it's one of those things. I think the Dagobah thing was nice. Explains why he goes there after he gets exiled because it's a plant that's it's very like rich in the force. So explain why he goes there. But makes a good point, Mike, Pete. This is not. I mean, Nick, this is not Anakin on Mortis where he has his memory wiped. Yoda has all this information in his head. And, like, makes you wonder why doesn't he act on this or take this more seriously? I don't have an answer for you. I wish he I did. It's like the Doctor Strange thing in Endgame. Yeah. And Infinity War, right? Like, like he the, knows one, the one true outcome. Right? And yeah. now you always like, have to let it go this way. I, I don't know. It could be, but I, I don't know if I speak for both of you. I, I know I definitely speak for myself when I say this. When in episode two, Attack of the Clones, when Obi-Wan shows up at Kamino and they say, Master Sifo-Dyas, he says, Master Sifo-Dyas died 10 years ago. To me, I'm thinking, I don't know who that is. I throw that out immediately. And in one point of my mind, I think to myself, maybe Qui-Gon Jinn's name is really Sifo-Dyas. That's the first thing I thought, because we never know who this guy was. Yeah, well, so talk- until, I, until I saw the show, I thought Sifo-Dyas and Qui-Gon were the same person. Yeah. Because they never really told us anything. And I always thought how Qui-Gon was against the council. Maybe he did it himself. I feel like they really needed this to explain this to us. Like, this is who this guy was. This was Sifo-Dyas. This is, you know... And we also got to see um, Darth Bane. That was really cool. Yeah, that's a. I think the. I remember he's supposed to appear in the Morris art. They didn't write him in. They put him in here. I thought that was a fun use of him. I also think I like the visions. I like the vision of Yoda trying to like basically. Oh, here's nothing happened. Him going to the temple and seeing like all the dead Jedi. The younglings were there, and then like Dooku's still a Jedi. I thought that was a pretty cool vision, Pete. That was a great yeah, vision. Yeah, that was that was a really really good vision. I think that was a you know, one of the tempting things like, Hey, you know, follow me into this like perfect reality where nothing bad was happening. Right. 
you know, Count Dooku, and this was, you know, the Emperor's, um, excuse me, the Chancellor's and the Darth Sidious' plan, Count Dooku was very close to Yoda when he was a Jedi, and they were, you know, Master and Padawan. So I, I, I like that they showed a reality where if there was no Sith, let's just say, or Dooku did not become a Sith, um, this is what it would look like. But then it shows pure deception as well, because you see in that same exact vision how Dooku turns because he's trying to like get him to join that. So it was definitely a, a you know one of those trials, a temptation, and 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 Yoda passed that. Yeah, Nick, what do you think of the other vision we got, which is in the think of the finale where Yoda is getting like tempted by the like Palpatine and Dooku both go on course on going at in their little like hideout there and try to manipulate him with that vision where he and Anakin are fighting. I thought that was great. It was, that was awesome. It was a fun it was a very fun fight scene. Even though it didn't was not real, I thought it was pretty cool to see Yoda's priorities here compared to like some of the other Jedi. Yeah, you know it's a good fight when when if you know the outcome of the fight and you're still interested, you know it's a good fight. Like you know none of those people are dying. Also you know it's a vision, so no one you know it, if anyone did die, it wouldn't matter anyway. But if you're still interested, even though you know there's no like or sort of looking for Stakes. consequences, yeah, then it's you know that it was it was pretty good, and I definitely agree with that. And it was also I, I mentioned Darth Bane before, and it was so important to have him or to bring him up because he's like one of the first. I'm sure there's others like small characters, but he's one of the first characters from the extended universe, the Legends, that got brought into the new canon. Which opened the which opens the door for so many. It's very similar to like to like how what we all thought Quicksilver was in WandaVision. Like, oh my god, it's the first X-Men coming in. Oh my god, this could mean this. It's, it's essentially the same thing. He was the first one to come in, and you see some more. We get more of them too. Like, for example, we all know the name Grand, Grand Admiral Thrawn after watching The Mandalorian. He was a Legends character, the extended universe, for years, and now he's been brought into canon. Well, he was brought in in, in Rebels. We'll get to him when we watch Rebels, but it's exciting to see these characters coming from the legends into the canon universe. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think now we covered the four arcs we got this season, but there were many more planned that did not get made or got made differently or, or did this. So I did the research here. I went online. I went through a bunch of the star Wars, like subreddits on the Wikipedia, on Wikipedia, a bunch of sources here. I got a list of all of these arcs that were not finished and we're going to go through them. We're going to like, go through here. Give us a power ring here. We're going to see who, which ones we want to see, which ones we don't. So I'm going to start. So, out. Mike, before you start, are any of the ones ranked here? None of these turned into season seven, correct? Uh, I have. I will mention which ones t- got put into season seven and what the changes they okay. made. Okay. okay. All right. So the, for, I'll note for the most part, they are pretty much all ever considered canon except for two. I'll point out which two are not canon at this point. At this point, because Dave Filoni said on the record that these arcs they consider to have happened off screen. Like you said, you alluded to a couple of them. So we're gonna start with the first one's called "Son of Dathomir." It's four episodes. The series is set during the Clone Wars, continuation of Darth Maul's story from the show. The rogue Sith Lord who was set to fight the events of Star Wars Episode One in the Clone Wars Episode "Witches of the Mist" has been captured by his former master Darth Sidious following the events of another Clone Wars episode titled "The Lawless." Sidious uses Maul in an attempt to draw Mother Talzin, Maul's mother, and the leader of the Night Sisters out of hygiene and destroyed, as Sidious considers her a potential threat to the eventual Sith domination of the galaxy. Maul confronts the Confederacy of Independent Systems, captures Dooku and Grievous in pursuit of avenging his old master, while the Galactic Republic and Jedi Order becomes involved in the hopes they can defeat Maul, Dooku, and Grievous, and in doing so, end the war. So, this would have been four episodes. This got made into a comic book by Marvel, so that exists as a four-issue comic. 
interest level here. How high is it on this one? You know, when you said son of Nathamir, something in my head was like, how do I know that? That is real. This is real. But yeah, it's the comic. That's how, I never read the comic. I've never, I don't own it or anything, but you're, but I, yeah, so I recognize it. That is true. But for me, nine out of 10, I'd love to see that. That's awesome. Any Mr. Mall, the more Mr. Mall, the better. Yeah. Pete, how about you? Are you, are you in on this one? Yeah, I, I'm definitely in. And I think I've said from the beginning, any more information we can get on any sort of backstory or anything that is, you know, even outside of canon or anything that's extended, I would like to have. So, Mr. Maul, more of him, bring it on. I'm going to co-sign this one. I wish we had seen this one. And for all the ones that we're all on board with, we're going to go with a... Uh... So, we'll give that one the whoop. There it is. So, we want that one made. If this, if there was a six and a half season of Clone Wars, this is one we want it. Yeah. Unfortunately, you can't put anything after seven. When we see the way it ends, you'll understand that's where it ends. There's no... Yeah. There's no continuation of that. All right. The next one here called Dark Disciple. This is actually eight episodes. In fact, it was we split into two different arcs. So it's like one four and another four probably come back later. So like what they do with Darth Maul here. And this is the description I found online. When the Jedi Council decides to go against their principles and assassinate Count Dooku in an effort to bring a swift end to the war, Quinlan Voss is tasked to track down Asajj Ventress to convince her to aid the Jedi's effort to kill the Sith Apprentice. Ventress convinces Voss that the only way to complete this mission is for him to learn to use the dark side of the Force and the traditions of the Night Sisters, avoiding giving into the dark side fully like the Sith. The two fall in love, and Voss ends up getting captured by Dooku, thinking he has an opportunity to not only kill Dooku, but also learn the identity of and possibly kill Darth Sidious. Quinlan succumbs to the pull of the dark side fully, and the end takes a redeeming sacrifice from Asajj Ventress to bring him back to the light. Also note, Boba Fett and the Bounty Hunters are appearing in this in a subplot, and this was made into a graphic novel. So, what do you think, Pete? with the love interest that 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 is like it's not something i'm looking for but um it would be nice to see more boba fett yeah. it would so especially later on in the season so i'm giving it a 50 50 the whole fall in love thing is just like okay we get it uh to me yeah so i'm gonna do the 50 50 i'd want to see it yeah nick i think the the love interesting doesn't sell me a bit but i like the idea of the jedi being forced to so you're like, hey, let's just kill Dooku. That's not something, not something normal you do. I think it's interesting to see them pursue that possibility, see the ramifications of it. Yeah, you know, I've said it many times before. I love seeing the other side of people. Like, I love seeing the other side of the Rebels in, uh, in Rogue One. And I correct me if I'm wrong. I thought I actually know about this arc as well. I've, I've read about this one. Isn't this the arc where Ventress dies? Yes, this is where Ventress dies. So that's something that I feel like, I don't know if we need eight, eight episodes on this, but I, I think she was in the show enough and she got some MVP points out of us, if I'm not mistaken. She's plus one in our yeah. tracker. So yeah. I feel like seeing her death on screen is pretty important and we should have seen it. I don't know about eight episodes, but. Well, I think eight depends on how much you're using Boba Fett and the Bounty Hunters. I think if they're having a decent enough subplot in it, maybe you'd have like a couple episodes of them like helping out on a side part of the mission. Like otherwise they can could probably do it in four. Probably also be nice to see more Boba because we saw him. What was it, season two? Yeah, uh, season and, four. I think we got him a little bit. And I think we've had three years pass since then, maybe two. So I mean, like you know, when you're 33 years old and you're 36 years old, you're not very different. When you're 13 years old and you're 16 years old, you're very different. Maybe we could see a little, see a much different Boba Fett than we saw when he was trying to get revenge on Windu with the. You know, you, we remember we talk about the whole arc. Of, Okay, and thumbs up, thumbs down. This one, would you say? I'm going to say thumbs up, but only 
you cut yeah, it. Only, only if they cut out like some of these episodes that made it like a three episode arc, not eight. Yeah. I would give it a thumbs up if you cut it in half. I would be tempted by the graphic now. I'll see what it looks like in its full form. So that's what I'm interested in. I'm not going to give it the whoop there it is, but I think it's a worthy arc being pursued, being produced. Little known fact is Quinlan Boss is in episode one. You see him, he's on Tatooine, yeah. right near Anakin's house. And you see him in the background. If you Google it, you'll see it. You can see his little, his little, uh, what do you want to call it? Face paint, I yeah. guess. You can see him, and it's him sitting in the background. It's crazy how they take a character who's definitely when they made the movie, when it came out in 99. So when they're filming in what, 97, 98, whenever they're doing the filming for that movie, to think we're going to put this guy here. And then here we are 23 years later talking about this guy, how he's in a cartoon and he's in a, a comic and all this. And all he was was a little background character. All right. Let's go on to the next one here. It's his Crystal Crisis on Utapal. This is four episodes. Crystal Crisis on Utapal. It's the Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi attempting to disrupt General Grievous's efforts to acquire a giant kyber crystal. Crystal may be King constructing the Death Star super laser. And I know this one they partially animated and I think you could I've seen it online somewhere, but it's not fully complete. That's one of the ones that Nick was talking about where they did, did some of the animation. So what do you think about this one, Nick? Does this interest you at all? Big thumbs down. Pete? For one reason and one reason only. Unless you want to hear Pete first, let me know. Uh I'll, come, I'll go to Pete first, then come back to you. Okay. You know, I'm interested to see what Nick says, actually. But I would say thumbs up only because of the Death Star, like, aspect of it, just for that info. But I want to hear what Nick says first before I go with my, like, if. Okay, so the only reason, it sounds cool, but but the only reason is, in episode three, Anakin had never met General Grievous. You can't put them together or everyone's a continuity. Well, I mean, they've met before. They met in, in Clone Wars before. He said, no, they, they never see each other face to face. Yeah. They're... they're if you go back, it's 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 remained consistent where they're never face to face with one another. They're in the same areas, they're they're in the same battles, they're in the same episodes, but they're never face to face because Anakin has never met Grievous. That's something that didn't happen in that episode on the boo where he gets captured. Oh, no, I don't right. believe he was face to face. I thought it was weird. I thought when they were trading, I thought they would have seen each other. I don't think they ever saw each other. Like I said, until. Um, Episode three until episode three. And if they did, he didn't know who it was. Okay. So you're going thumbs down. I don't need this. I can live without it. I'll say that much. Let's go on to our next one here. Just a quick note here. The bad batch was the one of the three that was unproduced and they finished it and made it to season seven, four episodes. So not much change there. Next one is a bounty hunter arc, which is four episodes. This four episode arc was written by Matt Mich- Michnovitz and production codes 522 to 525. In this arc, Boba Fett and Cad Bane are going to team up for a rescue mission on Tatooine where Tusken Raiders are kidnap a child. Besides Boba and Cad's relation to one another, is Cad had known Django. Story highly influenced by the film The Searchers, which George Lucas likes. Or Singh, Sarapaz, C21 High Singer, Embo, Lazarazzi, and Bosk were also in the story. According to the concept art, Cad Bane got new clothes, accompanied by Toto 360, had a new ship called the Justifier. Dubax, a Tusken shaman, would have appeared. As well as new elements such as minions, uh, the building minions wreck, and where's the droid, and a tune named Lanchik Travoris. Pete, are you on board for Cad Bane and Boba Fett? Go, like me, Tuscan shamans. So, I'm gonna go no. You know, the reason why I say that is because I feel like we had a lot of bounty hunter episodes already and bounty hunter arcs, and we had a lot of Cad Bane, and I don't want to oversaturate the market, if you will, with Cad Bane. Um, so I'm gonna go no. It would be a cool story arc, but maybe replacing one of the other bounty hunter arcs, not as an additional 
arc to this series. Uh, Nick, I know you're the big Cad Bane guy. Would you want this one? No, I agree with Pete. I don't want this one, but I know I want to know what happens to Cad Bane. We're done with him. We never see him again. We don't know if he lives. We don't know if he dies. I want to see him again, but not in this show. I want to see him in Bad Batch. I want to see him in Rebels. Spoiler alert, we don't. I want to see him in a video game down the line. I want to know what happens to this character. I want to know about him, but I don't want to see another arc with him in the Clone Wars. I would like to see him in the Obi-Wan show. I think that'd be a good place for Cad Bane to show up. That'd be, that'd be great. Yeah, bring him to live action. It'd be cool to see Obi-Wan like, have to work with Cad Bane or something. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Yeah, so... Jango Fett was his mentor, which I find a little... I mean, it's, it's possible. They said they I were, just find it a little said, odd. I just, they said they were friends. I yeah, I just find... Yeah, I guess so. I, just, I, I think he's older than Jango Fett was, but I guess you don't have to be older than someone to... Be younger than someone to be a mentor to them. You don't have to be. Yeah. Generally, you do, but not always. Yeah, I I think I would have liked to see like a little bit more of Boba Fett. That's why I would I would vote yes on this, but I'd be the minority on this one. Next up here, the one that Nick talked about, Ahsoka's walkabout. That's the terrible arc in the middle of season seven, from what I can gather, retool four episodes. It was an entirely different character they had in it, and they took that character and replaced them with the Telez sisters. So maybe that original character stays, the episodes are better. I don't know. It's just boring. I don't care. Yeah. Okay. Next up here is an arc on Kashyyyk. Four episodes. Four episode arc written by Matt Metzenevitz with production code 617 and 620. Starred Yoda and the Bad Batch on Kashyyyk. At the Untold Clone Wars panel at Celebration Anaheim, Dave Fluent talked about the plot of the arc. Feel the characters would ride on giant ape lizards that were wholly the Wookiees. In one scene, Tarful would ask the Free Spirits for permission to go into battle against the enemy, which is a number of Transoceans led by Bad Warp and more of the Separatist Alliance. To get the enemy out of some of their cities, they had to burn some of the trees. The clones had no problem with it, but it was upsetting to the Wookiees. Part of the arc would be about the clones and the Wookiees finding a common ground to fight the Separatists. Some of Yoda's troopers have his head still on their helmets, and Echo would now be part of the Bad Batch squad. So, Pete, what do you think about Yoda, the Bad Batch, on Kashyyyk? Yeah, I, I would I would like that arc. I would like that arc. I don't think we get a lot of action from Yoda at all in this series yet. I don't know. Um, we've seen a couple of things, but it's not he's not a main player in this series, of course. Um, but I, I would really like to see that because Yoda has a lot of times in, in the episodes, if, if I'm remembering correctly, in the movies where he is side-by-side side with clone troopers. Uh, we don't really see that. Kashyyyk, too. In Kashyyyk, right. So, so I think having the bad batch with him would be would be completely dope yeah nick you on board with this one i'm 100 percent in for multiple reasons number one is what pete said exactly number two is i want i wish we could have seen a little more of the bad batch before the show maybe that would not that i don't like the show i think it's turning around i think it's getting a little better i know we'll get to that a little bit later but i wish we saw more of them going into the show maybe i'd like it a little bit more and number three my which is really my main reason is Kashyyyk is where Chewbacca's from, right? Yeah. That's what we all are led to believe, and that's what they say. It doesn't appear in any episodes of The Clone Wars. It doesn't appear in any episodes of Rebels. It doesn't appear in the original trilogy. It doesn't appear in the sequel trilogy. It doesn't appear in episode one. It doesn't appear in episode two. It only appears in episode three for that battle. I really think we should have seen more of the planet. Yeah, it's a big plan in the video games, too. A lot of video games go there. It's in... Um, the one you're playing through right now. What is it? Uh, Fallen Fall, Order. Fallen Order. It's in, it's, it's, it's in Fallen Order. It's in Nice the Old Republic. Oh, yeah, yeah, the older games, true. And it, I, it's also in uh, Battlefront 2. So I, I would like to see more of it in the uh, in the movies or in the shows. And yeah. I think we should have had that arc. It would have been nice to see, like, Yoda with the clones, more Bad Batch, and more Kashyyyk. Yeah, okay. And 
I'm going to make this three for three. Give me Yoda and the Wookiees. All right, we got two we would put through to be produced. Next one, Rex and R2 Top Gun. Four episodes. So this is a quote from Dave Filoni. This is Top Gun with clones. It was basically the Army clones. The ground forces got in an argument with the pilots. The astromechs got in an argument. R2 insulted the astromech. It came this thing where Rex ended up having to fly a fire with R2 as his co-pilot. And a little more from this. Brad Friedman wrote the script for a four-episode arc starring Rex and R2. The story showed the ground forces of the clone army getting to argue with the pilots. Blah, blah, blah. This arc is Rex and R2. Rex flew a starfighter with R2 as his co-pilot. They crashed be stranded together on the moons of Ryloth. Most of the episodes take place. Rex and R2 reprogrammed a B2 Super Series battle droid that they would grow attached to. At some point, Rex was injured. Free and kind the arc would start out light and fun, then went to some very unexpected and dark places. And there are rumors, I cannot confirm these, supposedly whacking the droids are going to show back up in this arc. So, Pete, I'm guessing immediate thumbs down. No <laughs> droids. Next. No more freaking droids. That's all I gotta say. Nick, I'm out. I, I don't. I don't want it. Um, yeah, no more droids. Um, you know, I like Rex. Rex is a great character. I think Rex is one of the best clones there is. Maybe the best. So, probably, yeah, almost definitely the best clone there is. So, very. I would be very excited to see more of Rex. Always happy to see that. But give me, give me another. And also, you said four episodes. Are you kidding? Yeah, four episodes. Come on. Four episodes where only one character could talk? Yeah. Hey, again. Yeah, no way. This is, okay, so this is a universal no from us. I just got to say to Filoni. Why? 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 <laughs> Why are they attached to the droid stars? They never turn out good. Yeah, I'm usually with Dave. Not on this one. Yeah. Not on this one. All right. There's supposedly a couple. This is. Another one here. The Yuzang Vong was supposed to be an unknown number of episodes. That was a storyline they were working on. Story involved the Yuzang Vong in a very minimal way. Escatio was trying to assess the strength of the Republic and what the Jedi were. Pablo Hidalgo commented that it was a creepy story, but in a like X Files episode with an alien abduction event. The bear line of George Lucas' description of the Force. The Vong have any Force immunity in the story. Pablo said that the story never got into the origin of the Vong, but they probably were from another galaxy, which again, this is way too in the weeds. Honestly, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> I have no idea what you just said. I'm right I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I've I never heard no this clue. either. I'm no clue what you're talking about. I'm out. This is this is in the weeds. This is another one where this this no way. We do not need this. Nope. Yeah, and I'm gonna get just for this one. Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh-uh. Nope. 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 Okay. Now the two that are non-canon are in here. This one's Return to the Jedi Temple, an unknown number of episodes. The story would be about what makes what, these non-canon. I will uh, basically. Filoni just said they're not, or it says you explain. Uh, basically, what has happened since they were conceived and actually happened okay. on screen makes them no longer no longer canon. Okay. Okay. This story would be about what lay beneath the Jedi Temple, similar to how churches were often built on the previous religious center. Different force user temples, maybe even a Sith shrine, would be beneath. There'll be a giant skeleton kaiju down there. Ahsoka discovers a threat in the underworld of Coruscant and makes her way back to the Jedi Order to warn them. She, Obi-Wan, and Anakin set out to rescue Master Yoda from the Sith Shrine. The arc would also feature Darth Vader trying to break into the holocron vault of the Jedi Temple, but Ahsoka would hinder his progress. That doesn't sound too bad. But when you tell me, though, that it's not canon anymore, then I have no reason to want it. I think you tweak it. I think it's fun. I like it's, the- No, it definitely sounds like a fun arc. Definitely. It's fun, but I, I do we need it? 
Like, it's, not, it's not to say I wouldn't like to see it, but I, I don't even know if it's needed to be in there. Like, okay, Yoda getting captured, that's a first for this series in, in general. So uh, I think you could – there's kernels of so, a story in there. I think the yeah, problem I, is, is that we just had a Yoda sort of arc similar to this. Yeah. It would be, it would be nice to see more Ahsoka, you know? Yeah. All right. So we're, we're, so we're going to say eh on this one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not the worst arc that you've mentioned to us, but it was still out. All right. Let, next one, Return to Moncala. Unknown number of episodes. Start production code 71727. would have starred Padme and Madala working as Chancellor Palpatine's prolonged stay in office. Episode 719, Padme and Anakin Skywalker return to Moncala and meet with King Lee Char once again. While there, they found out that the leader of the Quarren, Nasar Ri, had been murdered, and Teeks had been appointed the prisoner of the leader in his place. Padme helped to gain support from the Quarren to move Palpatine from office. The Quarren Senator Tundra, Tundra Dalmia explained to Palpatine that the government was gridlocked and unable to function. They would meet with Teeks, express frustrations to Palpatine. This is a Padme arc, and it's considered non-canon because I think the Quarren leader does not get murdered until later in the show. So that's why it's not canon. But does this interest you at all, Nick? No. Not really. I have had enough of arcs that are not going to tell me anything more about what I want to know. Like what I want to know is what happened to Maul, what happened to Ahsoka. That's that's what I want to know. This isn't going to tell me that. Uh, Pete, anything on this one? So I'm going to say no, too, because of what Nick said. Um, it's not something I want to know. But it would be interesting to see someone go against the Chancellor and try to get him removed from office, though. I, I feel like that would be something interesting to see, to see and see how it's played out. But not something I'm necessarily wanting. Yeah, for me, the thing I'm against this is because another four episodes of Padme is going peace and just doing her one bit water, water like a uh, lawyering strategy. Is that is that only almost worked once? I mean, she's a great lawyer, as we saw from the Ahsoka, yeah, uh, arc. She was fantastic. All right, that- I, I, you know, you, you mentioned the Chancellor, and it just made me think. I thought it was really cool that we got to see the old Chancellor in that episode of the Clone Wars. Uh, Valorum. Yeah, that was cool. I always forget the name of that actor. I don't know that was his a name, but good, good callback. Is that that's a guy yeah. you don't see enough? Yeah, and he was only really in the beginning of episode yeah. one, and they voted him out of power, and then you never heard from him again. Cool yeah. to see that he's still living. He has those blue guards. Those are really cool. Those guards yeah. he had. Yeah, yeah, and friends with Yoda. So respect there. Yep. Yeah, right. it was cool to see him. All right, so I'm trying to I'm trying to look to see if it was played by the same actor who did the voice. Yeah. But I can't find it. But I will mention. I'm sure you guys noticed that Qui Gon Jinn was um, Liam Neeson. Was Liam Neeson, which is awesome. That's really cool that they got Liam Neeson back for that. Yep. I'm also gonna wrap it up here. There's only two things left. One is the Siege of Mandalore was. It's basically a turn to the finale arc of Clone Wars. So that's the last four episodes got got put in season seven. Nick says that's great. So we'll see that in a little bit. Amazing. It's like a yep. movie. It's it's it could have it could have went in theaters. I mean, I don't know. People would have got a lot of. Yeah. Viewers, because it was a cartoon, and people generally are against that. But it was, it was, it's up, it's up there with some of the movies and how good yeah, it is. Yeah. All right, and they also had plans, not epi- not arcs laid out, but plans to to do more of the Zillow Beast with Barris, who bombed the Jedi Temple, and with Deva Bilaba, Caleb Doom's master. So that's plans that have no stories written yet. So those are that's the unproduced stuff. So I think we found two gems in there. Yeah, you said Caleb Doom. We'll know more about him later. We will for sure, and. Now we're going to go to the, the tracker portion of the program, which is the fun part for me, because we do these trackers every every episode, every season. We track down things. Not many of them changed. The one that changed, the Padme Catcher Tracker, 
after your conversation with Nick and Pete has gone from five to seven. She gets captured twice or only arc of the season. Yeah, she's got to figure it out. Yeah. She's on pace. She's over one once per season. Yeah. You know, when you first made that tracker, I remember thinking to myself, I should have made the trackers because I know how the show goes. And this is something that's just going to fall away. Because I forgot how many times she got captured. We're watching. I go, actually, you did a good job. This this tracker keeps happening. I'm, you know what I mean? Because I was thinking at first, like, I should have made these trackers because I know how it goes. I, I don't want him to make a tracker and then have it stuck up one the whole show. But then it just kept happening. Yeah, it kind of did. The other ones, they've all stayed the same. We're kind of yada yada through these just to reset the ones we have going on right now. Zero of the Hut, still dead, still at five. So that's when it's going to fade away when we go to when we go to Rebels, right, Nick? Yeah, do you plan on, I mean, obviously we're not going to have Padme anymore, but do you plan to carry these over? I plan to carry the relevant ones over. That's what I mean, yeah. Yeah, like the, okay, the, cool. the MVP cool. the MVP boards are get reset. Some of these trackers yeah. are going to go, but like the ones they'll carry over here are going to go to right now, actually. Hondo appearance is still at 10. He is, you mentioned he appears in Rebel, so we'll keep, we'll bring that one on board. Yeah, can't wait to see more Hondo. Yeah, the Darksaber appearance is still at 5, and we did update the graphic here. Now Darth Maul is holding the Darksaber. We're going to keep track of who has it in the graphic as well. I made that got to gotta keep our eye on that. Yeah. Pete, do you like the idea? We're not putting possession of the dark, dark saber in the graphic. Say that again. Do you like that? We're putting the dark, the dark saber owner in the graphic now. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And Bo-Katan tracker still at four. So that one might get updated next season based on some of the stills I've seen how, on Disney plus. How do you determine if this is kind of bad on my part, considering we've been doing this for like six months now, how do you determine an appearance if she's in an episode if she's in an episode so if she's in four straight episodes meaning one arc she's going to bump up from four to eight correct all right every okay. time she's on the, every time no, she's on the screen she gets on there that's why hondo had five in season five because he showed up five times okay all right now we'll get to our mvp lvp board we have updated the graphic as well for that so to reset here where we are on the standings here anakin still the top dog at plus six Obi-Wan right behind, plus five. Ahsoka with a big jump to plus four. He's in third place. Mr. Maul, thanks, Pete. He is in fourth at plus three. Rex plus two. Then at plus one, we have a pile of people. Cad Bane, Padme, Jar Jar Bane. So I suspect Pete might take him out of this range by the end of this episode. Mace Windu, Plo Koon, Palpatine, Bo-Katan, Ventress. Our zero trio of Yoda, Savage, Count Dooku. Our negative ones, Mibar, Gascon, Lux, Manal, Ivali, Bail Organa. Thank you, Pete. Master Peel, the father from the Mortis Arc, Tarkin and Luminara, negative two for the Jedi Council, negative three for the writers, and minus four for the droids as a team, Investigator Douche, and Zero the Hut. So let's start with the positives. I feel like there were a lot of MVPs the tenth of the season. So Nick, give me your first MVP of the season. My first, and I want to—I don't know if I want to how I want to word this. I want to say like most important, like the one who deserves it the most is Palpatine. I think he dominated this season. He was manipulating at every corner, basically every arc. He's just sitting there like in charge. He dominated the uh, inhibitor chips, the banks, as we mentioned earlier, the empire that he wants is building in front of our eyes. Even the last episode, the last arc with Yoda, he's kind of taking control, even though he's not even really there. Palpatine dominated this season and it's exciting because he's, the big bad in the entirety of Star Wars. So it's nice to see him doing good. Yeah. I'm back. I'm I'm adding points to the pile of Palpatine as well. The power play control of the banks is very well executed. Good job on his part. And the way he handles the five situation is perfect because he gets fives alone in a room 
where no witnesses and tells him, I did it. Just admit, get Fies to try and kill him and say, oh no, he's trying to kill me. And then sends out the manhunt to get Fies killed before the information gets out. So great job by Palpatine. Pete, your first MVP. So my first one wasn't Palpatine, but just to keep consistent, I'll say Palpatine gets that point just for everything you guys said. I mean, he, I mean, like Nick said, dominated, just dominated that whole season. Um, 13 episodes. I don't think there was one episode in there that, that Palpatine didn't have his hand in on something. So he gets the point. Okay. So Queen Sleeper Palpatine on our first MVP. Nick, start the second round. Dooku. Yeah. Right behind him. Same reasons. He's involved in all of it. He's just, they're, they, they're plotting together. Everything that Palpatine done, Dooku did, Dooku was right in his corner. Dooku did a fantastic job at the banks. The way he came to Clovis at the end when he was finally sitting in, in charge, and he's like, and we'll pay no interest. And like, he was just like, wait, what? Like, amazing. He, that's not, every, like I said, everything that Palpatine did, Dooku did as well. All right. And I think that's a good one for you. P, who's your second MVP? I'm going Dooku as well. Um, he is a great, apprentice if you will um for palpatine and he's he's a lot bigger than they make him seem in the movies he does a lot of stuff in this in this whole series um and the season this season he was a really major player in it so i'm gonna agree with nick count dooku for sure yeah i'm gonna give my second mvp i'm giving it to yoda because i feel like he has a good job in his arc where he show he goes through a very mentally trying quest throughout the galaxy to figure out what's going on here with this Message from Qui-Gon to learn the secret of being a Force Ghost, and that becomes very key to saving the whole universe later down the line. So Yoda gets a point from me. Nick, who's your final MVP? Yoda. Okay, so another so nice transition there. Yoda's Yoda's the man. I mean, who doesn't like Yoda? Every Star Wars fan loves Yoda. Yoda's awesome, and like you said, he said he he figured all this stuff out. He learned the path to immortality through Qui-Gon. You have you don't have Obi Wan Kenobi sitting on a log at Dagobah if it wasn't for Yoda. You don't have what not if it wasn't for Qui Gon either. But you don't have that. Then you don't. He's not teaching Luke. He's not teaching Luke. You're not getting Vader back to the light side. The Emperor wins. Yeah, Yoda's awesome. Love Yoda. All right, Pete. Who's your final uh, MVP? Yeah, I'm going with Yoda too. But I want to give an honorable mention to Fives. Yeah. Um, only because Fives was the only one that was really doing this dirty work trying to figure out what the hell was going on with the clones. Um, so Yoda gets the full point, but I'll mention the fives. All right. I have two directs. I can go at this point. The last one I have one. I can really piss Pete off and get Jar Jar at that point. <laughs> Which probably wants to do Jar- that. You put Jar Jar at plus two. If you did that. <laughs> oh God. Well, unless we have some negatives. Wait, is, is he at zero or is that plus one? Is that plus one? Cause, oh. Cause I gave, I gave the one back in season one, Dude. which means you're going to put him in about in the top six of all rankings. <laughs> I'm debating about that one, or I should go the other way, which I think I'll go the other way, because I can't live with Jar being a top six character in the show. Ugh. I'm going with the... I'm giving a point to the writers here. They had a very good season, because they gave you a tight run here. All the episodes sort of flowed nicely. You see the... I call it the conspiracy season, where we basically see the conspiracy elements like getting played out to us with the banks, with the Yoda, with the chips. Good job with the writers. The writers are getting a point from me, so they're getting one back in the right direction. I have to give an honorable mention before we move on to the LVPs, and it's um, Rex. Yeah. Rex is, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Rex is proof that this show works. The first season, I don't care about Rex. I don't care about Cody. I don't care about these clones. They're all the same to me. They look like Jango Fett, and it's funny. I care about Rex now. 
All right. Proof to me that this show worked. Yeah. My honorable mention is Bail Organa for voting no on Rush Clovis. So he deserves credit for that. Yeah. I always like Bail. I like his appearance in Roblox. It's cool. All right. Let's get to the LVPs, the bad character of the season. So, Pete, starts off. Who would get an LVP point from you? Uh, I'm going to give an LVP point to Rex. Yeah. And the only reason why I'm giving him an LVP point is because he didn't believe fives or he wasn't really that involved. And Rex was always that guy who believed in his men. And if something is wrong, um, you know, that whole arc where the general was pretty much trying to kill them all. He was with um, fives in that, in that sort of situation too. The fact that he's just like barely around for something that is this important. And then he just comes out of nowhere later and it still kind of just backfires in fives face. I just, I just don't like that. So I'm going to give an LVP point to Rex. Okay. Nick, who's your first LVP? Funny, because this person was an MVP for me, and it's Yoda. <laughs> you were literally touching Palpatine. You're, you see what's happening. You see it happening in front of your eyes. He's right in front of you. You can't tell that it's the Chancellor. Are you kidding? You spend more time with him than anyone else on the council. You're always in his office talking, this and that. All he does is put on a hood. You can't even tell. Are you kidding? Yeah. It's pretty, not, it's pretty rough. More so Yoda than the rest of the council because I feel like whenever they have those meetings, it's and Windu too. It's always Yoda, Windu, and then it's the third guy's always different. Sometimes it's Obi Wan, sometimes it's Anakin, sometimes it's Caddy Mundi, sometimes it's Plo Klon. So it's always someone different. But Yoda is, and Windu, yeah. they're always there. How do you not know who this guy is? Okay, I'm gonna build on your point though. I'm gonna ding the council again for my first LVP because with all the information they get this season, with Anakin learning about the chips from Fives. The Sifo D's information, the bank situation, Yoda's quest. They get all of this, all of them as a group with the 12 super Jedi superpowers here. None of them can figure out that there's separate conspiracies going on around them. That's remember, a bad one. Remember, Anakin's not on the council. Yeah, but he gives them the information. I'm sure yeah. he has to report yeah. on it. And yeah. they had that information at their disposal. Between like, All of that, they should have been able to figure something out. So bad luck on them. Negative one from me from the council. So Pete, second LVP. So my second LVP is going to be the council Yoda included in there. Um, I, I just like, how, how does Yoda not say to Mace, Hey Mace, no hard feelings. Don't go, don't go hang out with the chancellor like alone. Yeah. Like, like how, how do you not or save Jar or like how, how do you not <laughs> save at least one Jedi out of all these people from order 66 and what's going on? You can easily say to me, it's like, look, I had a vision. Just keep it in the back of your head. There, there's going to be a Sith Lord that you're going to fight and get electrocuted. Like, don't do it. Yeah. Just just bring backup or some crap. Like, I, I don't know. I just, j- just like Nick said, how do you not see it's Chancellor Palpatine just from a hood? Yeah, I'm very unhappy with that. The dark side cloud or thing. It's such a cheap oh way to God. get out of that. Such a cop out. Such a cop yeah. out. This is because every single time something's been important, and at least he admits it in in this arc. I don't know if you caught it that they messed up with Ahsoka, right? Yeah. He messed. They messed up so hard on Ahsoka Tano, and they're just like, oh well, the dark side clouded us a little bit. Get the hell out of here. You are a Jedi Master. You're almost 900 years old, and you're telling me that you just couldn't tell. Yeah. Not good. Okay, Nick, second LVP is? Padme. Figure it out. (laughs) Stop getting caught. Stop trusting this Clovis guy. Enough is enough. Like, trying to talk your way through the war. 
it's been three years of you trying to talk to everybody and getting captured and it's clearly not working. Stop trying. Okay. I'm going to stick in that arc for my next LVP point. I'm going to ding Rush Clovis for being a complete moron here by, by getting played like a chump by Dooku because he thinks somehow that he's going to get help from the separatists to get control of the banks and get away with Scott Free. That's a very stupid thing. And also... He treats Padme like she's like a prize to be won like, in the arc, which is not a good look for Rush Clover. So he gets an LVP from me. So, Pete, final LVP is going to who? LVP is going to the writers for one reason and one reason only. They gave Jar Jar a love interest. And I don't like that. I don't care for that. They're idiots. <laughs> don't care how this season went when it came to writing. That one episode killed it for me. Kudos on the rest of the season. You messed up with giving Jar Jar a love interest where they meditate for four hours and no one could be in the room. Just saying, not a cool look. All right, Nick, your final one is? Zero the Hut, and I mean it. <laughs> I'm looking at this list, and Zero the Hut is not in last. He's tied for last. That has to change. If that <laughs> means I, I have I, to knock somebody for that, I have to do it. He can't. I, I didn't like the investigator douche either. I didn't like, obviously, the drawers we've spoken about numerous times, especially in the most recent episodes, but Zero the Hunt has to be last. And if it means me sacrificing one of my LVPs for that, then I'm going to do it. Well, I think he's mentioned next season. You just save that one for next season. I, 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 I can't say it for next season because I have a lot of answers for next season. Okay. And I do not have that many good answers to this because I did like this season a lot and I didn't have many knocks on it, so it was harder for me to give one. So I'm giving it to zero the hot to put him in last place. You're, you're also lucky I gave the LVP MVP of the writers. I would not that made it easy to offset Pete's negative point. Yeah, if you had the writers and a negative point, we'd have the writers behind zero the hot. Yeah. Yes. That's too close for comfort. It should be like minus 10. Yeah. All right. So my last point here. I'm going to the top of the board here. I'm giving Anakin Skywalker an LVP point because he's very, very cringeworthy towards Pat May this season. I mean, that whole line, the I demand you tell the council no as your husband line, that's poorly, that's ages poorly in 2012. Imagine now in the Me Too era, like, like Padme's not a trophy, dude. Like, just because she's married doesn't mean that you're her boss, so. Is that Anakin or the writers? That's Anakin, because you know he's always been that way. It might be the writers. (laughs) Is Anakin always that way, or was it the writers? Yeah, I'm giving it to Anakin. You know he's possessive of Padme, he always has been. Just keep in mind that Zero the Hut was available and you chose Anakin Skywalker. I did choose Anakin Skywalker. Let that be known. I will not regret that one. Record shows it. It's recorded. Okay, that's the the MVP LEP board. And now we're going to the season rankings. We have, obviously, season five was number one, followed by season four. The tie is seen season two and three is in a tie for third. Then season one, then the movie. Where are you slotting season six, Pete? Uh, I'm slotting it right under season five. Um, I do like that this season was shorter and we don't have filler episodes. I think that's huge. I like that there's a lot of backstory and a lot of explaining of the episodes. However, I kind of already know how the episodes go as a Star Wars fan. And I think season five just like brings the show to such a whole new level and a new point of, you know, you probably could have ended the show right there with Ahsoka Tano kind of walking away. So I'm going to put season five above season six for the fact that there's a lot of more new information in season five versus season six. It's just, it's just expanding on information. We kind of already known going into this show. 
Okay, so Nick, where are you? Where would you slot it? Yeah, I really wish I had something here to say, but ditto. Exactly what Pete just said. I wish I didn't. I wish I could add to that, but I can't. That exactly what he said. All right, I would put this in my priorities number one because I like the flow of the season. I think it were. I think. Yes, there is a high here that's not here, and season five has the Mandalore arc, which is fantastic. I think the consistency is a value to me, where I think the stories flow together well. The worst arc is only two episodes. We're not spending eight on drunk younglings and droids. I think as a whole, it's tough, but since you guys are united as a pair, it is going to end up going behind season five on the list. So, Well, I, let, me, let me put it to you this way, Mike. If they decide to make season five a shortened season, right? Let's say season four cartoon network canceled it or Disney boy at that point, And they had to make season five condensed. Would you rank season five over season six? I mean, it depends what they're taking out because you don't know what exactly. You know, you know, you know what they're taking out. Yeah, you know, what you know exactly out. what they're taking out to, to, to the seven episodes or the six episodes they have to take out. You know exactly what they're taking out. Do you rank five over six just for, you know, because look, at the end of the day, a production company is going to have to make 22 episodes. And if they only have good story for 13 of them, there's going to be crap episodes. It's just how it's going to work. So if you take out those episodes and you purely base it off the new information with the Mandalore and everything, you don't put season five over season six. Yeah, but I can't do that. The episode exists at this point. That's that's the issue I have. I can't just ignore it. it it's fair. That's fair. I say you can't, you. That's, that's exactly what rebels is yeah rebels is a 22 episode per season show the good episodes of rebels are better than every episode we've watched so far but there are some doozies <laughs> well we're getting there in the future but before we wrap up today i want to take a few minutes on the bad batch which well, we're not playing we're gonna to have to have pete do audio narration for this but the last two episodes were interesting i mean we got some good stuff in episode six nick the Tales sisters we're seeing them next season right yeah for four episodes yeah, four episodes that you're gonna say you're gonna watch the first four of the Bad Batch. You go, That's pretty good. I can't wait to see how the show ends. And you go, wait, 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 and then wait. Yeah. Now there's only four left in the show. I thought this was gonna be an amazing season, and then thank God they save it. Yeah. So not looking forward to the Light Sisters, basically. No, that's gonna be our LVP arc, if you will. Yeah. The worst arc. All right, but then we get to seven, which is fun. Where, Pete, we get Captain Rex back. We get direct follow-up to the Inheritor chip thing, which we saw, obviously, this season. We get the Bad Batch's chips taken out. I thought this was handled very well. I, I, I just find it incredible that we just saw the Fives arc and everything, and Rex is talking about how he didn't believe Fives. and everything. I think they lined up perfectly, just chronologically, of us watching the season versus seeing Episode 7 of the Bad Batch. I really like that Wrecker turns. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Sorry, we didn't throw the horn. But I really like that record turns and they have to they have to act facts. And it's not just um oh god. What's his name? Hunter. <laughs> no, not Hunter. Who's the guy who went bad in the bad batch for like went back uh, to uh, Crosshairs? Crosshair, thank you. Oh my oh my lord, that was bad. Anyway, so at least it's not only crosshair. It, it's still showing that even the Bad Batch still kind of have working inhibitor chips. So then Rex is like, no, no, you got to take these out pronto. Yeah. Um, and I like that even though they still have that bounty hunter-esque arc that they're working on, they still have their individuality for the show. Yeah. It looks like, and they set up something pretty big too. The, the Empire is going to be going after them even harder now because of what happened in episode seven. Um, so I encourage listeners, if you haven't, or if you're watching on YouTube and haven't seen it, go watch Bad Batch and watch up until episode seven, which is out now. Um, 
I feel like at least it's giving it an identity where it's not like the Mandalorian where every episode, let's just do another job, protect this young person. And then we'll see what happens at the end of the season. So I, I think they're making a good turn. Who knows? Maybe those two episodes were kind of like, we need to do something before something else happens. Like again, another filler kind of arc, but it, it looks like it's going in the right direction yet again. Yeah, and Nick, they did a good job teasing that out because a couple episodes in a row, I noticed that, that record was all about, oh, I have a headache and so on and so forth. Especially in the episode with the Telesis, it was a big deal. And now they, they did a good job teasing that out, but I, you kind of knew that was going. It's nice that they got to it here and that didn't drag out another four episodes. Yeah, that's very true. There's a lot of like a lot of those little things you see a lot where they're teasing it. And you're like, all right, don't make me wait till the end of the season to see record go crazy. So it was nice to see. And it's also the best character to go crazy because he's probably the hardest to stop. Yeah. So it's it's nice to see him go crazy and see them, you know, control him and calm him down and see how his friend one thing I noticed was that he was very close with Omega yeah. throughout the show. And their friendship does not seem ruined at all from that. It yeah. seemed like they were completely okay with it. Hey, I understand, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. I agree with that. I also thought it was cool because you guys made because you essentially told me to play Fall in Order and we get to go to Bracca, which is the first planet on Fall in Order of the Junkyard Planet. So let's actually see them worst bring that planet in. planet in Fall in Order too. Yeah, it's the first one, the first and the worst, but yeah, they did get that in there. I did like that we got that little bit of like bringing the video game to the canon more. Yeah, but if you've never played the game, it is personally, I don't think the story is very good. People do like it though, so don't take my word for it. Go out and try it for yourself. But I think the gameplay is great. It's a it controls really well, and it's a it's like a fun game to play, and it makes you like it's fun exploring the planets and stuff like that. So I think it's a good game in terms of. What you're doing is a lot of fun. I just don't think the story itself is too great. Yeah, and Pete, before we wrap this up here, like I thought it was also good that we got the Rex reveal that quick because then we saw the Tales sisters calling someone with a cloak in episode six. And I was like, I told Nick off there, I'm like, oh, we're going to wait like, until episode like 13, find out who this is. We got the very next episode, which is good pacing. Yeah, I think it's going to set up for the end of the season. I think Rex, this is not the last time we're seeing Rex in this show. Um, I think they introduced him so early because he's probably going to show up later. It's not like the Mandalorian where, again, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, where Luke Skywalker comes out last episode of season two. Um, this is something that I feel like is going to be reoccurring that we see Rex and, and possibly other characters from the Clone Wars keep popping up in this in this season and, and for the show in general. Yeah, and Nick, I think also, I mean, we saw at the end Rex is communicating with someone. Like, Do you think they're teasing us already to get Ahsoka into, into Bad Batch? Lips are sealed. Yeah. I won't comment because I do not want to spoil future seasons and future shows on who Rex is very close with. I would, yeah, I would say it seemed like of all the characters we know out there, I feel like that would make a logical sense. We will, we will mark it down that Mike thinks it is a Stoker. Yeah. And we're going to, I cannot comment any further. And that's the, that's the bad batch section here. I also think it's a lot of fun. We're getting to the final season next. Nick, give us a quick teaser here. What's coming up here in season seven? So I've been over it already, but. Four episodes that are pretty good, get you excited. Four episodes that are, oh no, what did they do? And then four episodes that are, oh my God, I want to watch those again. Yeah, so this- I said I said when we first started this podcast back in season one that I thought those four episodes should be its own episode of the podcast, yeah. its own segment. Obviously, we're not going to do that. We're pressed on time with the Book of Boba Fett and all that. But these four episodes are fantastic. I definitely recommend maybe putting a link in the description or something if you want to in the YouTube to the, to the trailer for that season yeah. for season seven. It's awesome. I don't know if you've ever seen the trailer, but the first thing you'll notice when you watch the trailer is the animation is like, it's unbelievably better. So this was, this was produced directly for Disney plus, I guess, no Netflix, no Cartoon Network. This was 
Disney Plus original. And these characters, like, remember how, like, we, we talked about how throughout the Clone Wars show, Obi-Wan had, like, all the Stormtrooper on? And that's yeah. the Clone Trooper um, Arm- equipment on? And, and as this show went on, he's kind of taken most of it off, and now it's just his arms. Obi-Wan Kenobi looks exactly like Obi-Wan Kenobi should in Episode 3. In episode, Anakin looks like Anakin should. Like, these characters are not, like, kind of in the middle stage anymore. It's like, no, this is Episode 3. Yeah. This final arc takes place the same time as episode three which is just it's just a fantastic arc we're gonna see what happens to these characters we thought we knew what happened to ahsoka we don't know now we'll find out we will indeed and that's gonna be fun a couple weeks out for season seven then we're gonna get into after that we'll just we'll tell you what's happening after that in the next podcast but i'll give you a chance to plug in social media guys thank you for coming on and pete how about you how you keep, keep up with you on twitter uh, like I always say at PJ Constory 29, a lot of retweet tweets. Uh, Rangers just hired uh, Gerard Gallant as their new head coach. So that's exciting. So you see a lot of hockey content. You see a lot of Star Wars content as well, um, including this podcast. So definitely give me a follow if you can. Spoiler alert, people retweet, be retweeting his own rant about Jar Jar Binks at some point in the next week or so. I will. Yeah. And Nick is not, Nick is on social media, but he's not revealing it yet. We are going, we're still working on a TBD date on when that's coming. Yeah, I'm still trying to work up my um, following count. I'm trying to follow more people so that way when I go on my feed on Twitter, I don't catch up in 12 in you know in 12 seconds, Yeah, which is what I'm stuck at. Because they give you a limit. I can only follow like 20 people, and then it says you can't follow anymore, and then I forget, and the weeks go by. Yeah. But I'm trying to – you know, I mentioned before I had a Twitter, and it was hacked, and I, had, I followed like five 600 people, and now I only follow like 100, and I want to I go back to that. It was years, and I want to I get back on the Twitter game. All right, so we'll keep an eye out for that. Thanks again, guys. Really appreciate it. A lot of fun. Cannot wait for next time. Thanks, Mike. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to have my guest, Martino Pucci, over hopping on, talk for, about the NBA for a half hour. Really good conversation. A lot of fun there. So I thank the Sky Guys, Pete Constantor, Nick Frey, recapping season six of The Clone Wars. It's been a lot of fun, and we'll see what happens going forward as we get into the final season coming up. I'm going to stuff like this podcast, include my look at the New York Baseball All-Star to see which guys could make the All-Star team for the Mets and the Yankees. Check out the blog over justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. You can find all episodes there. Feel free your feedback and star ratings as well. I'll make the podcast even better going forward. You can also check out my YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Individual conversations from the episode are going to be up on YouTube. My chat, Martinez, will be up there, and the Sky Guys video is going to be up there as well. Also, follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M P H I L I P S 331. And that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Next week, still a sign on direct here. Could be the Mets, could be the Islanders. Remember, they're close in the series. It could be going to the Stanley Cup finals, custom holy moly, and more. Until they help you have a better week than the Sixers fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.